Hello, and welcome to Clock Spinning, the podcast of Magic's history, as told card by card through Cube. I'm Austin, and with me, as always, is Connor. How are you today, Connor? I'm doing okay. I'm a little tired from doing uh, some battling with my garden today. Uh, what kind of battle? Like weeds? Uh, with ants. Yeah, just fighting with them with neem oil and all kinds of stuff. So Why are you trying to kick the ants out? I feel like ants are a benevolent presence most of the time. Uh, but they're too close to the house, you know? They're not benevolent once they get inside. I see. Are they well are they are they crossing over? Have they made it across that Rubicon? They haven't yet, but you know how you know how they do. Yeah, you know well we grew up with a in a sort of ant we were really just kind of secondary citizens within an ant kingdom growing yeah. up. Yeah, we were we were just sort of off in our own little spaces right. surrounded by ants right. doing whatever they wanted. So Yeah, they dominated the house, they set the schedule. Yeah. They did help pay a lot of the bills, so that was great. I mean, there were a lot of them, so you'd hope they'd be able to at least help out. Chip in. Yeah, I, I hope this banter is making sense to somebody besides us. It's been, it's been a little obscure as I'm getting into it. <laughs> to someone who's had ants before. So for anyone who's new uh, and who made it through the ant talk, uh, Clock Spinning is a podcast where we're uh, going card by card through some of the most classic and fun magic sets and building cubes out of them. And so right now uh, we're in the middle of Champions of Kamigawa set and Champions of Kamigawa block. Uh, and we're reviewing every single card one by one for cube in general, but for our cube in particular. Uh, if you want to follow along with that cube, you can go to clockspinning.com and there's a link to the cube and blog posts that contain links to all the old episodes. We would recommend jumping back to episode one, if only to hear about an overview of the set and about the impab rating system we use to rate the cards and decide how many we're going to put into the cube. And actually, we're uh, we're kind of coming toward the end of Champions of Kamigawa. It's hard to believe, but I know uh, we're getting going through the first half of Green today, and then not that much left before we move on to Betrayers. That's right. We're going to be reviewing our what two hundred and first card in just a second. Yeah. All right. Well, should we jump in and, and start talking about Green? Let's do it. Okay, so first up is the iconic Azusa, Lost But Seeking. Azusa is two and a G for a one-two legendary creature, human monk. You may play two additional lands on each of your turns. Very straightforward card, but a very, very splashy card. Uh, I think it's fair to say this is one of the most iconic cards from the set, certainly one of the most iconic green cards from the set. This has seen play in a whole bunch of formats for a long time. In Commander, for example, it commands only a hundred are only a thousand decks, um, but it appears in forty four thousand, which is a lot. Played in about four point five percent of cubes or twenty five hundred on Cube Cobra, so this thing sees a ton of play, and it's a. I think it's fair to say it's a multi format, maybe not all star, but solid role player. To be honest, in our cube, I'm less convinced about what Azusa is able to do. I just don't think you're that set up to accumulate lands in hand. Like, I feel like the problem, at least in our triple champions test drafts, is not your ability to cast your creatures with the land you have in hand. It's more like you just don't have enough total mana to do everything you want, and there's not enough card advantage to get more lands. I, I don't know. I'm not convinced about Azusa. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i not really sold on her relevance in our cube as kind of as iconic as she is. Maybe the best case scenario that popped into my mind was you have you have Azusa, you have a whole bunch of land in your hand, and you have a Moskami or something. And this lets you ramp that out. But the thing is, the the problem isn't so much 
playing out the land that you already have. It's it's getting the land that you need out of your deck into your hand, which Azusa yeah. doesn't help with. And there are not that many cards in Kamigawa that are going to do that for you. As cool as she is, I'm just not really sure what purpose she would serve. Well, you say that, but I do see in the notes here, you had a kind of cool, obscure purpose uh, that, that I'd love you to highlight. Yeah, so she does combo with the Moon Folk in an interesting way. The Soratami that we looked at back in blue and the ones that we'll see in the sets coming up, you know, rely on bouncing lands, bouncing your own lands uh, to your hand to trigger their abilities. So Azusa obviously helps you get those back out. And she does work very well with the bounce lands from Ravnica. Mm, oh, interesting. Uh, which, you know, I think we're giving a little bit of consideration to for more mana fixing. I love that. Yeah. So for anyone uh, who's not following the bounce land bit of that, um, so we've been, I'd say at this point, we're basically locked in that we're not going to run only Kamigawa lands in our Kamigawa queue because they're frankly just bad. They're really, they're really pretty bad lands across the board. Uh, They don't allow you to play two color decks with any degree of effectiveness. And for me, and I think both of us really believe like a fun cube environment lets you play out your spells, makes it easy to cast your spells and you don't lose too much due to mana screw and color screw. And so we've been thinking about like, well, what lands do we include? And a couple people on Reddit suggested the bounce lands from Ravnica, which I think, which have interesting synergies with like the moon folk. They have interesting synergies with, or anti-synergies with all the land destruction effects. They just do lots of fun, unique things in the context of the block. And I, I like your call out uh, with Azusa, I think, yeah, that this would play really interestingly with the bounce lands. To me, those those are kind of enough reasons to keep her in for now. Just you know, at one copy, as we've done with almost all the legendaries, I don't see the, like the dream, you know, the dream scenario of having Azusa and then a ton of land and getting some monstrous creature out because there just aren't that many very expensive, very good creatures to play. I like your thinking there, though, that like with the bounce lands and like if we design the mana base in the right way, that this gets a little bit better. One of the things I've noticed in test games is you do get stuck on mana a surprising amount in this format, considering how slow it is. And I think it's because things tend to be expensive. It's not so much that you're trying to cast seven drops all the time. It's that a lot of times your hand is like a three drop, a four drop and another three drop. Right. And you have five mana and you just can't quite square the circle. And so in that scenario, if we run the bounce lands and in enough density, like Azusa becomes a really interesting way to double spell on a turn where you otherwise had no business double spell. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So I guess she does stay in. I see you had her at meh. I had her at playable. I, I still think she's a meh to be honest. I mean, cause oh, so we didn't even talk about the stat line, which might, might be telling the stat line here is pretty embarrassing. Even by Kamigawa standards, like a three mana one, two does not it, you know, she almost might as well be an enchantment and she might even be better, better if she was. Ouch. You know, actually, now that you mention it, I at first I said Azusa's effect was really cool and unique. And then I was thinking, is it actually unique? Like, I know there are plenty of cards out there that let you play one additional land per turn, but I was wondering how many let you do two. And it looks like if I, if I you know, constructed the search in the right way, uh, it looks like there are three other cards that let you play two or more additional lands and all three of them are sorceries huh so azusa does stand alone in being able to you know being a creature that's able to do this there's like nahiri's lithoforming which is xrr sorcery it's a deep cut lets you play x additional lands this turn wow 
I, I got to look this up. I've never heard of this. It, it does some other stuff too, but that was the part that I was focused on. It's sacrifice X lands for each land sacrifice this way. Draw a card. You may play X additional lands this turn. Lands you control enter the battlefield tapped. So that's kind of a drawback. That is a freaking weird card. I like it. But yeah, there's a lot going on in it. That, see, one of the things I like I like about Kevin Cole, if I'm honest, is it doesn't make me think quite as hard as modern cards just to understand what the card That's does. That's true. Like Azusa does true. one thing. Like the thing you just read out, this bulk rare from Zendikar Rising literally does four different things. <laughs> things you know that's that's an interesting point because on the same page i'm looking at like a planeswalker kiora the crashing wave who's not that complicated but just thinking about something like a planeswalker or a saga or these class cards that were in the D set like individual modern cards modern meaning like recent ones are so much more complicated and have so much more going on just within one card than almost any of the ones that we've seen like these kamigawa cards kind of make you think about which other cards you need to pair them with and need to like what do you need to make azusa relevant in kamigawa limited whereas you look at a planeswalker and there there's so many different things going on you're trying to figure out just how to use this one card in the right way yeah i struggle with this because i don't want to be the curmudgeon person who's like i hate change it was better in my day you know uh I really don't. And there's a lot I like about modern magic. And honestly, I, I struggle a little bit to internalize modern cards sometimes. Like as yeah. you were talking about that and Planeswalkers, I thought of, you know, uh, the new Tamiyo from Neon Dynasty, mm-hmm. uh, the one who costs two and a G and a U and a Phyrexian GU yeah. hybrid <laughs> mana. And, you know, like uh, that card has, this isn't a Neon Dynasty review, but I just want to read it to like emphasize and count how many abilities it has. Cause I think it's interesting. So first she's got completed. You know, so she can be paid for with G, U, or two life. If you paid with life, she enters with two or fewer loyalty counters. So that's one or two abilities, depending how you want to count it, or at least one or two thoughts. Then her plus Mm. one says tap one artifact or creature up to one target artifact or creature. It doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. So that's another like three or four thoughts there, right? Because it's up to one, which is interesting. That's a little bit of extra cognitive overhead of you have to Mm. flip that around in your head and go... Oh, that's so I can plus it without having a valid target. That's a, that's right. good for me. You know, like you have to absorb that. Then her minus X says exile target non-land permanent card with the mana value X from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of that card. So that's, I don't know, another pretty dense ability. And then finally, her minus seven is create Tamiyo's notebook, a legendary colorless artifact token with spells you cast, cost two less to cast and tap draw a card. So she... Oof. As her minus creates an artifact that already in Kamigawa would do more than most Kamigawa <laughs> artifacts do on their own. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Sorry. That's a long diversion, but it's, it really is interesting. Like just the level of complexity on an individual card in modern magic compared to, you know, this 18 year old form of magic. It's, it really yeah. is a different game in the sense that this is, as you're saying, much more about relatively simple pieces of cardboard interacting, mm-hmm. you know, in hopefully complex emergent ways. Yeah. Okay, and as a reminder for anyone who's wondering, we landed on a Meh 1X or a playable 1X? I'm fine with, I'm fine with Meh. All right, well, we'll I'm a little that. dizzy from, from Tamiyo, so we better just keep moving here. I know, that was that was a discussion almost as complex as Tamiyo. Yeah. All right, you want to ca- carry us on? Yeah, let's move on to a, a relatively complicated card. I think our most complex card of the day, actually. Probably. Uh, this is Budoka Gardener. 1G for a 2-1 human monk. It's a flip card, so you can tap Budoka Gardener to put a land card from your hand into play. 
And then if you control 10 or more lands, flip him. He flips into Dokai, Weaver of Life, who's a 3-3 human monk. And Dokai has 4GG and tap. Put an XX green elemental creature token into play, where X is the number of lands you control. So Dokai is a little bit like Tamiyo. He's you know, creating tokens and counters and stuff. But I, I love this card. I think this is a really exciting flip card. One of the coolest flip forms in the block, meaning creature that the gardener flips into. Just the idea of being able to put out a 10-10 or bigger elemental every single turn is pretty tempting. Yeah, I really like this guy too. It's kind of funny because I I feel like individually, minus making a 10-10, individually, most of the abilities here are a little bit marginal or most of the elements. So it's a two mana, two one, and that's pretty meh, Mm -hmm. even in this set. Uh, That's, you know, two mana, two one, especially in green is nothing to get excited about. And then his ability, you know, of putting a land from your hand into play is kind of funny because it reads like a ramp, but I would say it isn't really ramp because it depends on you having lands in your hand. You know, it has the same Azusa problem of he doesn't help you get more lands. And so I think he probably buys you one or two land drops, early land drops, tops. But for the most part, it's flavor text in the mid game until if the game goes on forever, you just win, right? Like if you were making a 10-10 every turn, you are winning that game. Like There's no question in this format that you're winning that game. You know, you kind of have the option here of either having the gardener contribute to his own transformation or maybe just hanging out in your hand or in your deck until you draw him in a late game and mm. then just play him and flip him as soon as possible. Like a lot of the other flip cards, you have to sort of set it up and think about how you're going to create the circumstances. Just don't have to do that here. Yeah, he's also one of the few um, cards in the set, I think, really, that does the thing a lot of modern magic cards do where it's basically always good. You know, modern magic cards are almost always good. A good example would be like Lion Sash from Neon Dynasty is like a two mana two, two that's also an equipment to boost a creature once it's no longer relevant and it manages graveyards and it slices and dices. Like it does a bunch of stuff. So it's almost always relevant. And that's how modern magic threats tend to be. And this has a little bit of that of like early game, it's a two mana two, one. It can like hold down the forward or stall, slow down the game or get in. And then late game, it takes over. Now, it, it, mid game, it's kind of he's kind of at sea a little bit. <laughs> That's where he's weak. Yeah, he's like, eh, yeah, I don't really play in that. I've only got two sides. I don't have three sides. Do you think next time they return to Kamigawa, they should make flip cards that also are transform cards? Uh, I think they should just have three-sided triangular cards that would have three <laughs> forms on one face. You know, the Transformers TCG had three-sided cards. Or was that Dual what? Masters? Yeah, one of the other Wizards TCGs has three-sided cards. I thought Dual Masters had like five-sided cards. Oh, probably. That was, so that was kind of cool. Yeah, I, I'm pretty impressed by this guy. I have him at a playable 1x. Exact same here. Wow, boom. Yeah, well, uh, I guess a little more comment on the play. So this appears in 4,600 decks on EDH rec, which isn't nothing. It's not amazing, but it's not nothing. It's only in 0.66% of cubes. It's only in 365 cubes on Cube Cobra, which honestly, I think is a little bit low. I don't think this guy's amazing, but I feel like in a lower-powered environment, He's a pretty fun, unique threat. I feel like he should get a shot in more places. Yeah, I wonder if um, a lot of people's cubes, the games just don't go on long enough. Until you have 10 lands. Yeah. <laughs> 10 is a lot of lands. We should be clear that, you know, there's a lot of games this guy's never flipping. But what I like is in the games where he's most at risk of not flipping, like against Mono White, he can help block or like trade with an Isamaru or something. So he's doing a little bit for you, even in the games where he's not at his best. Yeah. Yeah, he's not he's not a four mana one one like our red flip cards. Yeah, uh, where do you land on the uh, art for this thing? I think it's okay. I, it's another Kev Walker, and he's he's been honestly a kind of a disappointment in champions I know, for it's me. Not 
It's not been his strongest set, has it? No. Besides, he, what was it? He Who Hungers that we really liked? Yeah, yeah. He Who Hungers was good. Both sides of it are fine, I guess. Not not that interesting, but fine. I kind of like this tree that's weaving between both sides. Kind of cool. I feel like that's clearly the strongest element of the art is that, that cool tree. It's kind of funny that the tree is in spring with the young monk and dying with the old. I mean, a lot of these kind of have an age theme to them, so that makes sense. I guess, but I feel like Dokai is the weaver of life. Like, why does he get a dead tree? Uh, maybe, maybe he's taking the life out of the tree to make it into an elemental. Maybe that's just how things are now that the Kami have turned against the mortals. Yeah, maybe. A lot. There's a lot packed into this art. There's a little banner that the young monk's carrying. Dokai's creating some kind of spirit thing. Okay. Yeah, but I think this guy's a playable 1X. I'm always excited yeah. when we find a playable flip card. That's a really good feeling every time. It is. All right, let's go to Burgrafter. Burgrafter is three energy for a 2-2 creature spirit. Sack him, target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. And he has Soul Shift three. And this is our first Soul Shift card uh, in a while, actually. So as a reminder, Soul Shift says, when this dies, you may return target spirit card with converted with mana value three or less from your graveyard to your hand. For Soul Shift three, it says that. Yeah, for Soul Shift 3. Thank you. I really like this guy. I think I've always loved this guy. I like pump spells in general. I like death shenanigans. Uh, honestly, this reminds me a little bit of Briarhorn, uh, which has always been a pet card of mine. In my cube, for example, I've run Briarhorn since the start. I don't think anyone except me has ever put it in a deck, uh, but I feel like every time I do, Briarhorn kind of overperforms. Uh, as a reminder, if you're not familiar, Briarhorn is 3 and a G for a 3-3 three, three with Flash. And when it enters, target creature gets plus 3, plus 3, and it also evokes for 2. Almost absolutely better. <laughs> Briarhorn? Yeah. It's it's way better. And I think this thing's not like completely far off. Obviously, having Flash is good. Obviously, having Evoke and coming in at two is good. Uh, obviously, your opponent not knowing it's coming. Those things are all great. But this guy has Soul Shift. So some additional mm. value going on there. This was one of those cards that I really struggled to understand when we started playing this game. You know, I was uh, like tw yeah, 12 when this set came out. And the idea of sacrificing something like willingly giving up one of your own cards felt like such a huge price to pay. And conceptually, this card especially felt like I'm giving up this permanent 2-2 for a temporary 2-2. And, you know, I didn't really connect the dots that with damage on the stack, with this having Soul Shift 3, what you're really getting is, you know, 4-4 four, four worth of stats with flexibility on 2-2 two, two of that, plus the Soul Shifting. And I just, you know, it was really hard for me to understand, like, why I wouldn't just want, like, a four mana 3-3 three, three instead of this. And that, for, for whatever reason, that just, like, took me a long time to figure out as a young, young player. I love that. Yeah, it's, uh, cards were harder to evaluate in this era, I feel like. Like, there's a lot of cards that play better than they look, which I feel like is something Wizards consciously avoids now. Maybe mostly for good, you know, because it is kind of a... Magic is a very complicated game. And so saying like, not only do you need to learn how to play it, not only do you need to learn how to play it well, but there will be many cards that will persistently seem like bad cards to you as a player for maybe mm -hmm. years, even though they're actually very good, like is, is hard. And, uh, you know, it is fun. It's fun when you unlock that and you understand, oh, here's how Burgrafter actually is a really solid card that can show up and, and do work in a variety of circumstances and has flexibility. Like just the value of flexibility is yeah. huge. And Burgrafter gives you that. And once you've committed it to the board, it's just sitting there ready to be used, messing with your opponent's combat math kind of continually, which I think is honestly like a very real kind of equity you can get. <laughs> a frustrating one, but yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. It, uh, yeah. That's a big part of the game though, you know? And I think the art here is really fun. I, I like it. Yeah, 
It's uh, you want to try and describe? <laughs> yeah, it's so hard describing these kami. So it's like a um, kind of a plant man, I guess you would say, emerging from a pond, uh, and his head is like a kind of flower, like you know, one of those little Chinese lantern flowers. It's kind of like that, full of glowing mm. orange magic. And then there's orange sparks ca- cascading off of him, and it's just very colorful and very evocative and kind of humanoid, but not in a way that's hits just the right level of disturbing for me to be really kind of otherworldly and fairy-like. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's a really, really strong piece of Kami art. Uh, incidentally, if you're following along, I don't think we've mentioned this yet. There will be a link in the show notes to a Scryfall search that shows uh, all of the cards. So you don't have to just try to imagine this art as we try to describe these comedy. You can also pull it up and look at it. You know, I, I'm just realizing this as I look at this art again now as a full, full grown adult. I think his head is a burr. <laughs> Duh. Right. <laughs> yes, you're totally like, right. It's it's a burr, like one of those spiky little seed things oh, that wow. gets stuck to your socks. That's uh, amazing that it's taken me 18 years to understand the card <laughs> called Burr Grafter might have a burr in its art. We've finally cracked it. Whew, wow. See, this this whole podcast is worth doing just for this lightning bolt moment. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully we've we've uh, enlightened someone else who was always confused by Burr Grafter. You know, and at that point, the, the art even gets better because A, it's a burr, which is cool. Uh, that connection is cool. But then B, it's like, I understand what the glowiness is about because he can sacrifice his head, you know, his most essential essence mm-hmm. to kind of transfer mm-hmm. that power. You, you could see the transfer of power almost in the art. Yeah. Yeah. He's sort of like disintegrating and this all this orange magic is coming out of him. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the artist here, Heather Hudson, and I'm not super familiar with her work. It looks like she's done a lot of pieces. She's done 198, and honestly, a lot of them are, in my view, a little bit forgettable, if I'm honest, but she's got some hits, especially in this set. Like, she did Kodama's Reach, you know, which has to be one of the most iconic arts of all time. Um, She did uh, Harsh Deceiver, which is uh, not a good card, but has pretty solid art. So she, I feel like this set played to her strengths. Yeah. Hmm. She's done a lot of birds. She's just like... Suntail like Hawk, birds. Stormscape Familiar, Suntail, another Suntail Hawk. She did Standstill. Okay, huh. I'm going to have to look more at Heather Hudson later. So where do you come down on this? I had this as a playable 3X. I'm starting to think 3X might be high because 4 is a really crowded slot in, uh, well, in every color, but especially in green with like the Kodamas and stuff. Where, where do you come down? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I also had it at playable 3. Wow, we're so aligned today. I know. We'll see how long it lasts. Yeah. <laughs> Um, looking at, I'm looking ahead. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh I, Yeah, I guess we we start with two. You know, the, like this is it's it's a solid card. It's satisfying design in its own way, but I feel like there's more exciting things that we're going to want more of at four. Yeah, and this is totally the kind of card where if we want more of it, we can throw more in. If there yeah. were only one of it, no one's going to be heartbroken. So I think two is yep. a nice place to start. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's let's do it. Okay. Next up, we have Commune with Nature. G, for a sorcery, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. I don't think this is an amazing card, but I think that if you're sort of decently invested in green, you have enough creatures that this is maybe worthwhile just to be able to pull one out of you know what's going to be a smaller deck than you haven't constructed. The fact that this can only pull out a creature is kind of a bummer, but I mean, I think it's, I think there's something here. Yeah, I want to do a, a little kind of 
tour of the history of green one mana cantropy effects because I, I promise this connects back to the playability of this card. So this is actually the first proper green cantrip. And I'm defining cantrip here as a card that gets you another card with some card selection and that costs one mana. Um, so I'm being fairly prescriptive. You know, I'm talking about the preordained brainstorm type cards here. So there was one card in alpha, natural selection, that kind of tried to do something like this, but it doesn't actually give you any choice or like cards. It just lets you look at it and rearrange cards. It also has one of the silliest uh, arts in the history of magic. So if you've never looked at it, look up natural selection from alpha and look at the uh, bird tiger man uh, admiring an apple. It's pretty great. It's, it's glorious. That's the first one, sort of, is 1995's Natural Selection. Then we have a nine-year gap with none of these effects, and we come to this card, Commune with Nature in 2004. As far as I know, this card didn't do anything or make any kind of splash. Six years after that, in 2010, we get Ancient Stirrings in Rise of the Eldrazi, which I would say is the first good green cantrip effect. You know, that card has been a defining card in Modern for a long time. I think it eventually got banned in Modern. Um, it's just an extremely powerful card that's, that's showed up in many effects, partic- decks, particularly Tron, um, across formats. Then we have another huge gap. So we had a nine-year gap and a six-year gap, and then we have a seven-year gap to commune with dinosaurs in Ixalan, which gets you a dinosaur. It looks at the top, I can't remember, five or four. Gets you a dinosaur or a land, and that's the critical thing that changes starting in Ixalan. Then we have Adventurous Impulse in 2018, Dominaria. Uh, looks at the top three and gets a creature or a land. So it's this card, looks at less, but gets a land, can also get you a land. 2021, we get Abundant Harvest and MH2, uh, which is my favorite of these and the best. And then in Neon Dynasty, we get Commune with Spirits, which incidentally, considering the set's emphasis on spirits, I can't <laughs> believe this card isn't called Commune with Spirits, which is this card that can also get a land or a uh, creature or uh, enchantment. Okay, so that's a long discussion, uh, but I, I go into it because A, I think it's kind of fun. And to see how this has accelerated in the last five years and become a kind of common effect in green after a long time of being very intermittent. But B to say, I think not hitting a land here, hmm. to my view, makes this an insta-cut because the no-hit rate is so real here. And the card selection is often not card selection. There's going to be a ton of times you flip up five and you get, sometimes get zero creatures, but often get one creature, maybe two. And so you're not getting that much choice out of your commune with nature. And I think a lot of times you'd be happier if you just put in another creature where your commune with nature is, uh, which is a guaranteed hit. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty cold on this card. Well, I mean, if you have a creature instead of your commune with nature, it's a guaranteed hit if you're assuming that the creature's, you know, showing up in the same spot in the deck as commune with nature. But don't you think there's a little bit of value in just looking at five cards and what is probably going to be, you know, a, a 25, 20 to 30 card deck that you're looking through? Don't you think there's some value in looking at 20% of that deck and getting a creature out of that instead of drawing three land if you play this later in the game? Well, I mean, let's do the math. So let's say you have, uh, I don't know, what's a typical number of creatures in a mm-hmm. limited environment? Let's say 18, maybe. Let's say you have 18 creatures. Well, we know you're running at least one non-creature from Commune with Nature. So let's say you have 18 creatures, 40 card deck, and it's turn four. So you've got 30 cards left in your deck. And let's just assume you've drawn a quarter of your creatures. So that's about four. So you've got 12 left out of 30. Okay, here's where the math gets kind of hard. So, so you're seeing you're seeing a sixth of your deck. So on average, you're going to see about two creatures. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to see between one and three. Is getting a choice of two creatures really that good? Like, let's say the two creatures are a Dripping Tongue Zubera and a 
I don't know. Uh, what was the Budoka? We've only looked at a couple creatures so far, so we have a limited to play with. Our Dripping Tug, Zubera, and Burgrafter. Wouldn't you rather have just had a Burgrafter than this card? Like from the start? I, I mean, I would if I would if I if I'm able to draw the Burgrafter, but I think the value here is getting a creature when you need one. But what if you don't hit and you just threw away I mean, a card? It's only one mana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was one whole card. I don't think this is <laughs> that great. And not being able to get at least something out of it in the form of a land is a bummer. This is an interesting card because it's a it's a testing card. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like we can test it and see. I think it's going to be pretty clear pretty quick if this card is the real deal or not, uh, or any kind of deal or not. I, I'm okay including it to find out. I just, uh, my, my suspicion is the fail rate here is high. Why don't we keep it in at meh so that we know it's kind of on a watch list? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there yeah. might be something here. Okay, how many copies do you want? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you govern this one. Um, I think two is probably reasonable. Okay, two meh. Let's find, let's find out. Before we move on, talk about the art. This may be the worst art, for me, the worst art that we've seen in the over 200 cards we've talked about already. It's, real, it's really bad. It is so... I mean, this looks like something from like the first two to three years of Magic, and not in a good way. The subject of the art is a woman who is communing with an eagle, a bald eagle that she has on her arm. The woman doing the communing is so stiff and awkward, like it looks like this creepy doll head. Yeah. By the way, she has no she has no like iris or pupils in her eyes, I guess because she's communing. Yeah. Her eyes are just blank and white. Which really accentuates the lifeless dead quality. It really does. Pose. And she looks very life lifeless and just not not like a nice person who would be communing with an eagle. It's like a creepy doll head was screwed onto this green cone, which is her body wearing this green robe. And then it looks like someone glued some hands onto that cone at really awkward angles. And then you look at this eagle that she's communing with. And I would say if we're being generous to this eagle, it looks like it was taxidermied and just clamped onto her arm. <laughs> and if we're not being generous to this eagle, it looks like someone just spilled brown and white paint onto the canvas at the end and then just added a beak and an eye to it to make it into an eagle it is so bad it's it really is it the background's all right that's the best part it's an example of where i don't have the art language to describe it but one of the one of the gifts of a really good artist is one of the hard hardest things for me to understand is how you impart a sense of motion to a still image and you can see it in other things like azusa Budoka Gardener, even Burgrafter, Burgrafter, yeah, like so many of these other cards. Like, there's just something about them that suggests even humble Budoka coming up a little bit later, which is not an amazing piece, but it's fine. There's just something about it that has a kind of lifelike quality where you can imagine the motion, you can imagine some kind of animation, and despite the fact she's kind of doing a theoretically dynamic pose by lifting her hand, there's just this like stiff quality to it that just I don't know. She looks frozen in amber. She just doesn't look alive. Yeah. And this two-dimensional eagle just makes it so much worse. Yeah, Edward P. Beard Jr. has done 126 cards in the history of Magic. His last pieces were just a set later than this, or a block later than this in Ravnica. He hasn't done any art since then. And as I look back through his art, I I can kind of see why. Like, I, I think he was a very early Magic artist, and I don't think his style and his kind of technical chops quite made the leap into... Mm-hmm. Um, into the kind of later magic era. Like he just doesn't, it just, his style didn't work for this stuff. 
He did do the original um, Elder Dragons, including that hilarious Nicole Bolas art where he's reading a book and like looks like he's about to take a sip of tea. Um, <laughs> so he had some early bangers, but I think as as Magic's art got increasingly realistic, his style just wasn't it wasn't able to keep pace. Photorealism is not his strong suit, I think, based on this art. Yeah, I wonder if this card was a turning point in his art career at Wizards. <laughs> oh no, they saw this. They saw this one, and they're like, mm. "Well, it's funny you say it because I'm looking at his other art in the set. He has three other pieces in the set. They are Manasizum, which we already talked about, and uh-huh. we're not fans of Ronin Houndmaster, which I don't recall having any reaction to, either good or bad. It's fine. It's fine. And then Strength of Cedars coming up this set, which I actually think is pretty cool. And all and interestingly, is the least photorealistic of the three. It's much more back towards a sort of painterly abstract art. And I think it it worked better. Oh yeah, that one's that one's kind of fine. It's kind of fine. Uh, it feels interesting and in telling that this card got three reprints. I think as Wizards tried to make it a thing, admittedly, two of those are mystery booster, actually. Got two re- one reprint in 10th edition. And when they reprinted it, despite the pretty generic art here, like this could work anywhere. I mean, it's vaguely Japanese looking, but not strongly. Except for the bald eagle. <laughs> Except for the bald eagle. Um, <laughs> but anyway, when this got reprinted in 10th edition, it got new art, which I don't think is a coincidence. New and much better yeah. art. Yeah. That new art's pretty good. Cool art. Yeah. Dang. Dino guy back there or a dragon or something. Yeah. Nice job, Lars Grant West. Okay. All right. So Matt 2X. Yes. All right, we're we're really on a journey today, aren't we? <laughs> we are a slow right. journey, but bear with us. All right, let's talk about Dosan, the Falling Leaf. One GG for a legendary creature, human monk. He's a two-two. Players can play spells only during their own turns. Easy peasy. I, I was originally pretty cool on this card, and I'm glad someone on Reddit said uh, tap tap said helps you play combat tricks without getting blown out. And the more I thought about that, the more I thought. That's not nothing. There are some really good G combat tricks, notably Kodama's Might and Strength of Cedars are both very, very strong spells, especially Strength of Cedars. Uh, And then coming up in Betrayers, we have Unchecked Growth, which isn't quite as good, but is another solid pump spell. And then there's an additional use case of defending against your opponent's combat tricks, defending against an opponent messing up something like Devouring Greed or Devouring Rage. Uh, Like I think kind of putting all this together, Dosan isn't amazing but i think his ability is more relevant than it seems like i'm thinking about teferi uh time raveler the one wu one that forces your opponent to play sorcery speed that's you know screwed up multiple formats and is one of the most annoying cards ever entered into vintage cube Mm -hmm. and this has a similar it's not as good a card but it's it's disruptive and i think matters in the same way that card matters more than it seems like it would yeah i I mean i think this is genuinely solid in it for for whatever reason Dosan really reminds me of Azusa I think because they're both at 3 they're both you know sort of these legendary humans within green but I think Dosan is a lot more generally useful than Azusa you don't really have to find other things to have him help you the combat tricks are like getting being able to know you'll get the value out of Kodama's might or strength of cedars or whatever is great and I think he also he in a weird way, kind of makes auras a little bit better too. Because if you know, if you already have him out and you play the aura, you know, at least for that turn, you're not gonna, you know, go down two cards to some uh, glacial ray or whatever. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. The the one knock against Dosan obviously is the kind of stat line. He's a three mana two two, so he's a gray ogre with double designated in his cost instead of single designated. That's a that's a tough spot to be. I don't want to I don't want anyone to pretend otherwise. But I think it's just barely not embarrassing enough that he can he can squeak in yeah and i think i think green is good enough as a color that 
like mono green actually may be viable. And if yeah. you're in green, I feel like it it is likely to be kind of the more dominant color in your deck. So I yeah, I think it, it's not as much of a drawback as it would be if he were in red, for example. Yeah, I'm pretty surprised given the kind of evergreen relevance of his ability. I'm really surprised this thing's never been reprinted. Um, it shows up, I can't remember the exact play number, but it shows up in a decent number of commander decks. But And, and therefore, I'm just surprised they've never, say, thrown this into a commander deck. This seems like a really relevant thing. Kind of an annoying thing, I guess, but something that would totally make sense for a mono green deck in commander. Yeah, that is kind of weird. There's a, there's a lot of cards like that in Kamigawa. There's, there's some that really surprise you or surprise me at least that they've been reprinted. And then there's other ones like Dosan where it seems like you could just kind of throw them in anywhere you wanted in terms of a reprint and it'd be fine. Yeah. So he appears in 3,600 decks, which isn't nothing. It's not amazing, but it's, you know, it's something. Um, he commands just 56, which, you know, doesn't surprise me. I'm surprised it's even that much to be honest with you. <laughs> huh? Okay. So where do you land on playability here? I have this at a meh one X. Um, I had him at, playable but I don't know, it's it's tough to evaluate because i feel like he's you know if you do have those combat tricks in your deck if you do have something that you're you know really trying to protect and your opponent also is running a deck that actually wants to play things on your turn then he is going to be really useful but if both of those things aren't true he's just kind of a three mana two two so maybe mm. he does need to be meh yeah meh feels right to me here sorry dosan yeah meh one x i assume yeah uh, next up, just a quick one, Dripping Tongue Zubera. 1G for a 1-2 Zubera Spirit. Uh, when it dies, put a 1-1 colorless spirit creature token into play for each Zubera put into a graveyard from play this turn. So we already covered Dripping Tongue Zubera and all the other Zubera in our Zubera special. Woo! Um, so go back and listen to that if you haven't already, if you want to hear uh, maybe maybe a little too much about Zuberas. No, Connor, Connor, it's... No, sell it, sell it. This is the most in-depth podcast discussion of the Zuberas ever recorded. Yeah, and I think it will remain. I think it will remain so. I think for, so <laughs> for years to come. Yeah, I don't think too many people are muscling in on that territory of an in-depth Zubera cube review. Not yet, but it is it is fun. Go go give it a listen if you haven't yeah. been able to yet. So we already rated Dripping Tongue Zubera in that special episode, and we settled on three copies at Playable. Yeah, and that still feels totally right to me. To me, this is my first or second favorite Zubera. It just always is a solid role player. It The little spirit it ends up creating helps you out. It gives you nice fodder for things like Devouring Greed or Devouring Rage or other sack effects like I just really like this guy. Yeah, just really solid and even just by himself, you know, kind of replacing himself with a 1-1 spirit is just solid. I yeah. think this is my favorite Zubera art-wise. I just like that that dripping tongue. Yeah. All these all these veiny kind of branches that he's composed uh -huh. of. Uh, uh -huh. I, I, I like how it looks. You know, there's a little more context to the background of this yeah. Zubera as compared to the others. He, it, it looks like he's sort of creeping through this really dense undergrowth of the jungle it's kind of a predator vibe yeah yeah like the movie yeah i can't say i like the art exactly but i admire it intellectually <laughs> oh, okay. i think it's well executed but too gross right. for me we'll take it all right let's go to feast of worms so feast of worms is three gg for a sorcery arcane destroy target land if that land is legendary its controller sacrifices another land uh, so I think this thing is uh, terrible. 
Um, I think it's really, really bad. Uh, I actually spent most of my time reading it thinking it was a four mana spell and it was only at the end of my ratings that I realized it's five. And so I, it's even worse I, than I, I thought. I saw your comments there. You're like, like four mana is just too much. Yeah, quiet. <laughs> Um, so there's other four mana land destruction spells in so the base rate for land destruction is three and usually even at three it struggles to be playable in a cube type environment or even in limited so when you go above three i expect some return so at four in green for example we have cards like bramble crush creeping mold reclaiming vines all of which hit multiple permanent types, or in some cases, all permanent types except creatures. Uh, or they come with upside cards like Monvuli Acid Moss, which uh, kills a land and then gets you a forest. I just think the legendary thing here is way, way too marginal to matter most of the time. There's not that many legendary lands. I don't know how many of them are going to make the cut. I don't know how often your opponent's even going to have one. Uh, and then also, uh, even as a fan of land destruction, the rare times that this would be good enough, it's pretty unfun to have two of your lands destroyed. So I don't know. I, I hate this card. Yeah, it's, it's I gave it a meh 2x, mostly because I, I keep thinking about this land destruction sort of mini archetype that we're that we've been bouncing around, but I think you're yeah. probably right that this is just bad. And it's not just not just bad because it's unfun, not just bad because it's five mana, but because the second land that this gets rid of is one that your opponent should know, right? Why not just let you kill choose the second one too? Yeah, you know, the the biggest upside you can get here is targeting a legendary land and then you get to take out another one with it, but your opponent gets to choose and they're, you know, they're only going to get rid of the land that hurts them the least. So, the upside here is really almost nothing. Yeah, I I'm with you on that. I do like the name. I think Feast of Worms is a pretty fun evocative name. I wonder if it was inspired by the Diet of Worms, you know, that I don't remember exactly enough from history to remember what happened, but it was something important. You know, I want to say the Protestant Reformation. But anyway, I wonder if like Mark Rosewater or somebody was riffing off of Diet of Worms and they're like, ah, Feast of Worms, that would be a great card name. I was just thinking when I saw this name that I was really glad they didn't give this one to Ron Spencer. <laughs> because <laughs> oh it would gosh, be yes. so much grosser oh, if thank they had goodness. Uh, for anyone who's not tracking that, if you go back to our Black episode or just look at Ron Spencer's art on Black cards over the years, he is not afraid to get really really gross with anything tangentially involving worms or bugs yeah so b i'm I'm very grateful that the worms in this they're almost cute they're like kind they of kind of cute they look they look like you know gummy kind of fat gummy worms or little <laughs> totally stuffed animals cute. they're just like these big kind of funny cuddly looking worms yeah it's kind of a uh it's almost a little cartoonish this art like it is yeah it's kind of, you know to me honestly what it evokes is it, it seems like something from princess mononoke or something doesn't it like the kind of me- classic miyazaki thing of nature rising up against oh, a corrupting yeah. civilization yeah or they're like the the ohms from uh oh it's, it's the ohms. you're right they're baby ohms yeah, the art here is by chippy who's an artist who i don't hear much about he's only done 126 pieces but when i look at his art Honestly, it's basically all bangers. Like he's got, he plays with a lot of different styles from cartoony to photorealistic. They're almost always interesting compositions with maybe the sole exception of, I'm scrolling here, Flowstone Slide, which is kind of a compositional disaster. It's super bland. But anyway, Chippy's done a lot of great art. Go go look up his Cryfall. From Abyssal Persecutor to the second Acroma art oh, wow. to Chancellor of the Forge, Bloom Tender, just lots of really cool art in here. Dance of Shadows, which we uh, both had strong reactions to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the art's great here, but uh, the card, I think we can say goodbye to. Yeah, I don't think the card gets there for me. I'm fine just insta-cutting it. All right. 
this is a big one. This is going to be a big moment kind of emotionally for us, uh, for the show. Um, so buckle up. We've got Feral Deceiver, 3G for a 3-2 spirit. You can pay one colorless to look at the top card of your library, and you can pay two colorless to reveal the top card of your library. If it's a land, Feral Deceiver gets plus two, plus two, and gains trample until end of turn. You can only do this once per turn. So this is the last card in our, I think we can safely say our least favorite cycle in Kamigawa, the Deceivers, who all have this ability of revealing or looking at a card on top of your library and then revealing that. And if it's a land, you get some benefit. I'll almost miss them. And I think this one has kind of deceived me. I know. This is what I hate about them is they are almost good enough or actually maybe good enough. They're just, they're just so, oh, they're so unfun and bland from a play perspective. So I, I think, I think Feral Deceiver may actually be good enough. Just barely yeah, good I enough. I know. That's what I, that's why it makes me hate it all the more, Connor. It does. It does. But you can, he can become a 5-4 Trampler, which is, you know, on the level of Gut Wrencher Oni. Yeah, 5-4 Trampler is very real. It's a very real rate. Like serious business in, in this block. So uh, I, I guess we, we have a choice here. It, it sounds like we, we agree that this may be an actual card, like, that could be good sometimes. Yes. We had this problem with, uh, what was it, the Red Deceiver, too? Was yeah, it- the Harsh Deceiver. No, was that's harsh the right one. Cruel? I don't know. No, cruel's Some, the black one. No, brutal, brutal deceiver. Brutal deceiver. But I, I that that was first strike, right? This is trample. Like this could actually end a game, which is very good too. Yeah, this could swing in as a five four trampler. That's a you know that's a very significant threat. I don't know. Do we want to have this be the only deceiver? I feel like I've used this as leverage for, against you every time because the white deceiver is the worst. And so we came out, we came out swinging and said the deceivers are terrible. The white deceiver, most of all is abysmal. Let's cut it. And then each deceiver since then, I've used that as the thin end of the wedge to say deceivers are terrible. We can't possibly let this one in. And this is our last shot. Now we come at last to the green one. And uh, part of me wants to just deny them the chance to get in at all to the cube because I don't like the way they play. And I think they're boring and dumb. But if you want this one, I, I don't think it's indefensible. And I also think we could potentially go back and throw in one of the red one or something too. Because, you know, they are an iconic... I don't know if they're iconic. That's the wrong word. They are a part of the block that, based on Reddit, at least two other people besides us remember. <laughs> they, they are something. So, I mean, let's try to ignore Let's pretend this isn't called Feral Deceiver. I'm going to call it Feral Spirit Puncher. Punchy Spirit. Feral Punchy Spirit. Feral Punchy Spirit. So I feel better about it already. Yeah, you do, right? So Feral Punchy Spirit is a four mana, three, two, where you can pay three mana and 40% of the time it becomes a five, four with trample. So how do you feel about that? Four mana, five, three, two, they can become a five, four with trample 40% of the time for three mana. I mean, I don't feel great, but I don't feel terrible. And I guess he is at the four mana slot too, which is a little bit tricky. But I feel like, I, I don't know, with every one of these deceivers we've said, is this one, you know, like the white one sucked, but maybe this one it does enough? And I, I feel like we finally arrived at a deceiver. Our last chance, we've arrived at one where it's like, yeah, maybe this does do enough. I feel like we need to try it just to have one in for even even if it's just the first cut of the cube. Hold on. Let's let me just read you the other four mana four drops or four four drop green creatures. Not the whole thing. I'm just gonna read you the names of some of the good ones. Okay. Burgrafter. Yep. Iwamori of the open fist. Mm-hmm. 
Kashi Tribe Reaver, mm-hmm. Kodama of the South Tree, mm-hmm. Order of the Sacred Bell, Root Runner, mm-hmm. Sachi, Daughter of Shishiro, Shisato, Whispering Hunter, Sosuke, Son of Sashiro. That's not even all of them. Those are just the decent ones. I feel like between those, we're going to have enough green four drops that we don't need this guy, honestly. But don't you just want to have a little bit of deceiver action in there? <laughs> I mean, no. We've been talking we about them for so long. All right. Okay. Well, so how many? Is it just the green? Just, Are you going to go back and post-date them? I just want two. I just want two feral deceivers. Connor, the cube's only going to have 700 cards. Are you going to tell me that one out of every 350 cards is going to be feral deceivers? It doesn't seem like that much to ask. <laughs> it seems like a lot. Okay, okay. Since you are you are dead set on getting rid of all the deceivers, so I will go down to one feral deceiver here at meh. But there's a but. I can sense it. No, that's it. Just okay. one feral deceiver. That's all, right, all I fine. ask. Fine, let's throw it in. All right. I might ask for a favor later. But you're going to have to answer to all the fans who draft the cube and expect the full Deceiver cycle based on seeing Feral Deceiver and go, no, where are the harsh and brutal and the other devour, whatever the other two are called. <laughs> I, th- I think I think the comments are going to be more along the lines of why why are any of these in here? Yeah, why is this card here? Okay, Matt 1X is fine. Yep. Also pretty decent art. Yeah, I think this is definitely my favorite deceiver art most of the other ones have like actual human faces floating around as their little spirit buddies Uh uh-huh uh this one has these kind of demon mask things that are they look a lot cooler and less creepy by being less human yeah and i like that the form of the spirit itself is obscured by the masks and the green smoke which kind of fits the deceiver you know all the other deceivers you can see clearly what the deceiver looks like but here he's kind of obscured so like what you know what is his actual nature which fits well with the effect in the name right Hmm. All right, Feral Deceiver. Best of the Deceivers. You heard it here first and last. No down. one else is ever going to talk about these cards except us. Nope. Okay, let's go to Gale Force. Four and a G for a sorcery. Gale Force deals five damage to each creature with flying. Uh, so this is your kind of classic green hates flying. Let's kill some flyers card. Uh, it's a very, it kills pretty much all the flyers in the block. It is super expensive at five mana. Surprisingly, green only gets two cards in the block that deal damage to flyers. Technically, there's three, but one of them just pings, so I'm not going to count it. So there's this, and then there's Arashi the Sky Asunder in Saviors. So Arashi the Sky Asunder is a far better card, A, because it has a way better name. It's a super cool name. Uh, but B, because it basically does this, but also can be a 4-4, which you know is pretty clearly better. That said, I think this card still has a home. So we're only going to run one Arashi in the cube. And... Apart from Arashi and this, there is no way for green to deal with the dragons, uh, those legendary 5-5 dragons that are so iconic and so game-breaking. There's only three or maybe four, depending on how you want to count it, green creatures with reach in the entire block. The largest of them is a 3-4, which is not enough to take down a 5-5 dragon. Um, There is technically Traproot Kami and Betrayers, who's a 0x, so he could block them forever, but who cares? So this and Arashi are literally the only ways green could kill a dragon Basically in the whole block. And I think that might be enough to get it a meh. Hmm. Okay, I just have to say right out the gate, I've always hated this particular theme in green. Of This whole part of green's color pie? I just don't like this deal damage only to flyers thing. Why? I, I don't I don't have a really rational reason for it. Um, huh. But what about the- Hurricane? How do you feel about Hurricane? I mean, okay, I was I was thinking about this in comparison to Hurricane, and this is so much worse because Hurricane at least deals damage to players, right? Like you can use it yep. to close things out. 
this, if if there are no flyers, this literally does nothing and it costs five mana. Plus Hurricane's better because it got printed with a blue border by accident in Summer Magic. Oh, I didn't know that. That's some good trivia. It's like the rarest misprint in the game. We'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. Wow. Maybe we should uh, we should make a version of Gale Force that has a blue <laughs> border. Get a, get a custom customize it. Only people to ever do a custom. We should commission uh, Klug Alters to do an altar of Gale Force. <laughs> it's just with blue border. The only people that have ever asked anything related to this card. That's right. Sorry, keep going. Oh, That's that hurricane's cool, yeah. Job. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah, and there's just, you know, red kind of has the opposite of this, right? Dealing damage to non-flyers. And that's so much more relevant because most creatures don't have flying. Most of the cards in green, at least the ones that come to mind right now, that kind of hate flyers as a group, right? They're like Gale Force, Hurricane, Arashi, where it's sort of knocking everything out of the sky, which is sort of a cool idea. But what that means is that most of them end up being pretty expensive like Gale Force being five mana. You know, you can't just target a flyer and knock it down with some two mana spell. Like you have to save up for a Gale Force to deal with one dragon. Yeah, it's true. The more classic version of this in green is more like two damage, deal six, or two mana, deal six damage to a flyer, which I think is more relevant as you're saying, because a lot of times you don't really need to sweep the board of flyers. That's a nice bonus. You more just need to deal with one pesky permanent that you can't answer. There's one dragon or one angel or something that you're wanting to get rid of. Can I say set against that? This card is played in only 90 cubes on Cube Cobra. So if we include this, we could be thought leaders, Connor. You know, I, that's a that's a really interesting way to, to look at the fact that this is only in 90 cubes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just, you know, put a, put a more growth mindset spin on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something I hate about this card is that I, the creature, I've been looking at the art a lot since I rated it. I keep going back to see if I'm missing something, but the creature that's falling doesn't appear to have wings or look like it ever flew. That is confusing and irritating to me. Yeah, he's just sort of falling out of the sky. Yeah, it's like there was a crossed wires where, you know, they thought it was like a gale force wind that damages all creatures instead of just flyers. Mm. But this this guy seems clearly yeah. land bound. Well, let me let me give you something else to hate about this card, which is Okay, the- there's plenty. <laughs> Um, the fact that it's not arcane. Uh, yeah, can you read the flavor text? Everything the Kami had done, they did with more force. Gentle breezes became typhoons, rolling rivers turned to crushing rapids, and gentle growth became overnight masses of thorns and vines. So the flavor text is describing how, you know, everything about nature has become more violent since this war with the spirits started. Which obviously makes you think that Gale Force is supposed to be the Kami creating this wind. But it's not arcane. Like, why Why couldn't they just add arcane to this so you at least had a splice option or a spirit craft trigger off of I it? I agree. It's a, it's, a total, it's, a, it's a total flavor fail, and it's a weird one. My suspicion is they did it because they thought... They also gave this a somewhat generic name, and maybe they thought this would become like a corset staple, and it just proved too terrible to ever reprint. Yeah, you might be onto something there. Kind of interesting. For five mana, I almost feel like this could have just dealt, say, eight damage to each creature with flying or something, just like... Guaranteed kill all flyers for five seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, the fact that it's five damage makes me think it was sort of in there for the specific reason that you were calling out. The dragons? The dragons. It feels like that. Yeah, it feels like a way for... Honestly, it feels like it's maybe stuck in so that limited decks and champions limited would have some way of dealing with the flyers. You know, it's not a great way, but it would at least be like, I've got something I can pull out of my sideboard because this is clearly going 15th pick every time. But... (sighs) Maybe you are onto something that green. I hadn't done all this math on what answers 
green actually has to the dragon. So if it's literally just this and Arashi, maybe green does need this. Oh, see, so you, you've turned me against it. Oh, now you want now you want to insta cut it like I did. Yeah, I do because it's like, well, maybe Green's answer to this is just like beating down with Kodama of the North Tree, you know? Yeah, just winning. Like, does Green have to be able to answer Flyers? I'm not sure it does. I don't think so. Huh. A little piece of truly useless trivia. This is the seventh cheapest uncommon in the set in foil. So there you go. You're not going to get intel like this anywhere else. No. I wish I'd thought of looking that up earlier. The cheapest foil in the set is... Kumano's pupils, which we hated, which totally checks out because that card is even more bland and forgettable than this card. <laughs> uh, but, but that comes with the coconut bras. That's right, which is kind of funny. Also uh, cheaper than this card in foil, if you want to pick some up, listeners, are Sideswipe, uh, the two-mana red spell that redirects arcane, That's cool. arcane spells, uh, and Hanabi Blast, uh, the horrible red three-mana return it to your hand, discard a card at random thing. Yeah, that, that kind of vindicates our... Uh our reviews of all of those cards. Yeah, maybe we should just start doing our decisions based on what's cheapest, you know, just cut all the cheap foils, just assume they're bad. Maybe. That might not end well for cards I love, like Candles Glow. Mm. Let's just cut this thing. Yeah, get it out. Our next card is uh, kind of a big one. Well, it's a, it's a small one in terms of cost, but kind of a big one in terms of impact. Glimpse of Nature. G for a sorcery. Whenever you play a creature spell this turn, draw a card. Actually, do you want to do you want to kick off the discussion of this? There's a lot of sort of history behind this card that I think you know more about. Yeah, I won't pretend to be an expert, but this card has a pretty fascinating history. So this card is uh, banned in modern, and it was actually banned in modern before the format officially started. So when Wizards first announced modern, the community was so excited about it that they organized an informal community cup on uh, Magic Online, and Wizards looked at the results. Um, and this seems kind of unscientific, to be honest, looked at the results and then banned like 12 cards based on the result. And some of them were cards I think they were sure they were going to ban going into the format. Cards like Stoneforge, Mystic, and Jace that at the time Modern was announced back in 2010 were extremely degenerate and powerful, were sort of generally hated for their impact on standard. standard. And so I think Wizards killed it because, um, killed them right out of the gate because they said, well, players are going to already hate these cards. The last thing we want to do is have our new format be defined by these cards people already hate. Glyphs of Nature was banned because it outperformed delivering pretty consistent turn three wins in a style of deck that now is often called Elf Ball, which is to say playing a ton of cheap green creatures, many of which the cantrip, and just going off with tons of mana acceleration and just vomiting your entire hand on like turn two or turn three. And so Glimpse of Nature has uh, been banned in modern since the format's inception 12 years ago. And I think it's interesting to wonder like, could it be unbanned now? Could it not? I'm not a modern expert, but it's interesting that this has never gotten a shot to prove whether it's broken or not. Uh, and I have a suspicion that that is part of the reason this card's never gotten reprinted, despite having what seems to me like a really iconic, powerful kind of effect, a uh, really unique effect in the history of the game. It seems like something that would have gotten shoved into some reprint set or standard set at some point, but it never has. And I suspect the reason is because it's banned in modern, so it wouldn't. it would be a funny thing to reprint. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those cards though, just looking at it where you think of like, why hasn't this shown up? It's you know, it's not arcane. It doesn't have any of the sort of hallmarks of a Kamigawa card that you would think would just take it out of the running. Oh, and I'll put a link to the the ancient wizards article where they talk about this banning in the show notes. So what do you think about this in our cube? I don't think it's much. <laughs> I don't think so either. I questioned myself on it. It actually helped to go look this up on Cube Cobra and realize 
strangely, this is not very much played. It's only played in, I can't remember, like 500 cubes or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it seems like something that would go into like a vintage cube or a legacy cube or some combo heavy thing. But I think it's just too hard to set up in any format, but let alone our format where like most of your creatures are like three drops and four drops. Like I just, I feel like a lot of the time this basically cantrips very occasionally it'll draw you too. <laughs> I think, I think it's mostly just a, uh, a cantrip without any other effect on it. It's just the drawing <laughs> a card part. So it's uh, it's an insta-cut for me. I don't think this is going to turn into one or maybe like it, you know, you might get one or two cards out of it if you're lucky, but it's mostly just going to be something you would rather have anything else in place of. The point at which it gets gross, right, is like when you say get three cards out of it, um, right. then, it, you know, then it's Ancestral Recall. But like, that's really hard to do. Like creatures are pretty expensive in this format, the decent ones anyway. So like, I don't know, if you assume your average creature costs three-ish mana, you know, you would need to have 10 mana up to Glimpse of Nature. And presumably you would have been like holding back those creatures in order to make this work. So there's an opportunity cost to be paid. And of course, there's a a flip side, non-ancestral version of this where you draw it in the late game, like as a top deck. And like, it literally does nothing. It's the worst thing you could draw. And then you just concede. Yeah, because, yeah, because you put glimpse of nature in your deck and i don't think we're alone in this like it's not just that it's underplayed on cube cobra i went like digging around on reddit the mtg cube subreddit to see if i could find a discussion of this and there just really isn't like this card has never gotten very much attention from cube designers and it's despite its you know 18 years availability i will say i i do like the art quite a bit on this card it's it's very great very unusual it's uh it looks like a kind of a really old painting of it shows Dosan sitting on a rock and he's just kind of watching these two deer uh, out in the meadow and it looks like there's maybe a mountain out in the distance uh, but the whole thing looks very faded and weathered and aged and I, I don't feel like I see that on almost any other card. Yeah, it's true. It's it's a very kind of watercolory look, isn't it? Yeah, and like an old watercolor. Yeah, and it's interesting as you say to see his uh, his style flex like this. Really cool piece. Yeah, this is uh, by Shishizaru, who also did Floating Dream Zubera, um, quite a few other pieces, I think, up until Ravnica. Uh, but this one kind of stands alone, uh, style-wise. Yeah, I really like uh, the art, and I really like the card. I just don't I don't see it having a home here, sadly. Yeah. Instacut? Yeah, I think so. Uh, that one hurts. All right, let's go to Hanakami. Hanakami is G for a 1-1 creature spirit. And it says one in a G, sack it, return target arcane card from your graveyard to your hand. I've always had a huge soft spot for this card. Uh, I think the main reason is the art. It's got this fantastic Rebecca Gway art of a bunch of, I guess you'd call them sunflowers, like kind of pink yellow sunflowers with human faces vomiting up more flowers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's, it's such a great balance of like the color scheme and kind of basic theme of it, like scream cute. It's got a real kind of cutesy color, but then yeah. like when you look at it, it's kind of, it's pretty horrifying. And it's like, it's such a perfect fit for Rebecca Gway's style. I really, really think this is a strong piece. And I think it fits perfectly into like Kamigawa's style too, right? Like you said, there's this lovely flower and then it doesn't take you long to realize that the center of it is this distended, like almost like screaming human face with flowers just being vomited out and the flavor text too which says it grew in lands lit by pride and watered by tears i feel like both of those together just really kind of capture this sense of kamigawa being this place of really deep 
melancholy yeah. and this this plane that's you know been torn apart by this by this war and by like suffering on all sides you know you get this really sad story kind of juxtaposed on this card that is the god of flowers yeah it's like the beauty of the god of flowers has been distorted and ruined right the card itself i think it's kind of i think it's just okay I think the main thing it appears to have going forward is it's one of the very, very few one-drop spirits that's at all okay. And so therefore it's like, oh, this is the cheapest Soul Shaft target. And you could start building the scenario in your mind of like, you know, I, I sack this to get an arcane spell back and then I soul shift this and then I sack it again and I'm getting this crazy value chain going and da, 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 da. And I think that's somewhat true. I think the biggest challenge with that is it's actually not as good a Soul Shift target as it appears because there's only one soul shifter with soul shift one in the block and that thing is terrible it's death knell call from saviors it's a terrible card so really this is competing for cards again as a soul shift two target and that is a little bit of a stronger picture that's the zubera some other decent cards uh, and so i think hanakami like i'm not sure it quite gets there on value because the body itself is like a one one like uh, the more i play this format the more i'm like this is not a format for one mana one ones to matter yeah I, w- I was actually curious about how many green arcane cards there are that you'd actually want to get. And green only has 13 arcane cards in the whole block, uh, which is a little bit less than half of what red and blue have. White has somewhere between 13 and 25. Can't remember exactly where. Black is like 20, 25, something like that. But green really is lacking arcane spells compared to the other colors. Yeah, it feels like the real scenario where you're doing this is with black, right? Like to get back a rend flesh or a pull under, like I think that's where you're happiest with Hanakami. I, for me, this makes me sad because the the art and the flavor is so great, but it's just really hard for me to see this one mana one one that sometimes gets you an arcane card back. It's It's just hard for me to see it being all that relevant yeah i'm with you it's also pretty hard for me to see this thing mattering Mm -hmm. Uh, i had it at a mad 2x despite my skepticism because i feel like well a because i think it might surprise me like i think the ability to recur and and regrowth and buy things back is meaningful particularly when you could start putting it together as part of a soul shift value chain and i mean come on that art i mean we generally haven't kept things in because of the art but there's a case for it right maybe okay yeah yeah i mean like i'm never I'm never going to be sad when I see this popping up in the draft. Maybe I'm a little sad if it has to go in my deck, but I, <laughs> I, if I see it, if I see it coming up in a pack, then I go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I like that card. I'm not sure I want it, but I like seeing it. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned spirit craft. It's funny because I feel like this thing is most at home outside of green. Like I feel like green's right. heart in this set is like powering out its pretty solid mid-range four, five, and six drop threats. You know, things like, you know, the Kodamas or uh, Moskami and stuff. Like that's where green really excels is just getting out these beefy beaters that are hard to deal with. And it also excels at kind of soul shift. It excels at this grindy value game. It doesn't do much with spells, which is appropriate for green. And it doesn't do that much with spirit craft triggers either compared to the other colors. And that's where this thing is best, right? Obviously getting arcane spells back is part of it, but also the spirit craft trigger thing of like, I don't know if this gets an arcane spell back. That's two or three spirit craft triggers out of it. That's pretty solid value. I, I had it at a meh 2x. What about a meh 1x? Just like one of them in and see if it fits in somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's try it out. All right. I didn't look up the foil price of this, but I suspect it's a little higher from the Rebecca Gway equity mm. and the amazing art. Yeah. This would be a cool foil. 
It's going to set you back a whole dollar forty, Connor. Oof. Yep. Going to have to save up for that. Let's move on to Heartbeat of Spring. And I'll, I'll warn you specifically, Austin, that this one is a bit of a reading test. So be aware. I've, read, I've read this card. Heartbeat of I've, Spring. I've read it. 2G enchantment. Whenever a player taps a land for mana, that player adds one mana of that type to his or her mana pool. So the important thing here is that this applies to both players. I know. <laughs> so you know. I know now. Everybody I knows know in now. This case. <laughs> I don't think... I. I what, what, what would this do in the cube? Uh, in our cube, I think basically nothing. You know, it, it's a little bit of a... It's not quite an all-star, but it's a cube, solid cube role player. Like this is, I think, basically always been in the MTGO Vintage Cube as a, um, you know, another copy of Mana Flare. This is actually color-shifted Mana Flare, you know, the original Mana Flare from Alpha, um, which was a red, exactly this card in red. Makes a lot more sense in green, obviously. Uh, but uh, those cards are used in like High Tide, Turnabout, Storm, like value crazy decks that just do not do not exist in this format. They, there's yep. just no place in original Kamigawa block or probably modern. But anyway, there's no place in this set to take advantage of this card. And so I think... Basically, what happens is you play this, your opponent untaps, your opponent goes off, and then you hope to claw your way back in the game. Like, I just don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't think this has any place in our cube, sadly. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a really important point at the end there. Like, your opponent probably gets the first benefit from this, right? Unless you already have a ton of mana out and you have something to use it for, you play this, and then your opponent gets the first turn of a bunch of mana. So, Instacut. Yeah, I think it probably is an inset, despite being an iconic card and having, you know, really pretty art. But I, I just don't I don't see how this would ever fit in and, and do anything meaningful in our cube. Oh, actually, there is there's one comment on Gatherer that I saw that I thought was kind of cute and I wanted to read it. Someone said, with this, Lanawar, Land Searchers, and the Mana Snakes, you could get insane amounts of mana very quickly. Hands down, green rules mana acceleration. And I just thought that uh that, that was a nice little comment about what green does. I loved the kind of naivete sounds condescending and I don't really mean it that way. I love the way the gatherer, you know, harkens back to an era where not everyone understood magic that well, us included right. for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly what would go through my mind. Yeah. They were like clawing their way into understanding the game and, you know, learning together and no one was that good. You know, it wasn't like today where arena and moto mean there's millions of magic matches being played every week and everyone has a really sharp understanding of the format you know there's a lot more kind of you know what green can make a lot of mana what can i do with that yeah Yeah. you know and and even on the casual side today right like casual today is defined by commander which is hugely defined by edh rec right it's optimized and it's like sharpened and it's synergized and it it's homogenized to a large extent you know I, i i do miss you know i don't know if you could even recreate today that feeling no matter how you engineer it right. because the amount of right. data and communication we have access to just means like it, it's just always and, and magic is such a big game like i think you'd have to go to an obscure game with less players to recreate fully that feeling of i don't know what's good mm-hmm. and and i don't i don't really know what uh these colors or these cards do exactly and yeah figuring it out and it's exciting to figure it out yeah that's awesome an awesome instacut lovely Next up, we have the last Honden, Honden of Life's Web. Four and a G for a legendary enchantment, Shrine. At the beginning of your upkeep, create a 1-1 colorless spirit token for each shrine you control. 
So we've had the whole haunted cycle. I love the haunted cycle. For me, this is probably the second most meh after the black one. It's just too expensive. Like at five mana, realistically, even with some acceleration, you know, you might miss a land drop. On average, this is coming down, let's say turn five or six. So on turn six or seven, you make your first one, one. And then the turn after Mm -hmm. that, you make another one, one. And it's like, you know, even after four turns, four turns after you cast it, you made four one ones. Like this is just so glacially slow. And, And while we keep talking about how grindy this format is, it's grindy, but it's not, in my experience, settled by an army of one ones swarming over your opponent. It's settled by like, bomby threats like the dragons or the kodamas it's settled by giant spells like devouring greed or strength of cedars it's settled by evasion effects you know like the what was that two black that black two drop with fear oh uh nazumi cutthroat yeah yeah that's the one the, the cutthroat um like this doesn't do any of those things and so i just don't feel like you're ever in a good position to capitalize on what you know on the Honden of life's web the, it it is interesting that you mentioned devouring greed though because that has some obvious synergy. Oh, yeah. Ooh, okay. Enough That's true. Web. You know, five is a very expensive starting point for what this effect is. But if you do have something like Devouring Greed in the wings, or if you just have another decent Honden or two, you know, if you have the red Honden or the blue one out, and then you bring out the Honden of Life's Web, if you manage to get just two of them, I think that this can really snowball into something that your opponent doesn't have an answer to. Uh, if you're getting two damage off of the red Honden, or if you're drawing two cards a turn off the blue one, and you're also getting two one-one spirits that are kind of keeping you in the game until you get, you know, whatever you're looking for to close things out, I think there could be some serious value. Yeah, and ironically, with that or with this being kind of meh, uh, green. If you're if we are going to have that five-color Honden deck that you're talking about here, it's almost going to have to have green because that's where all of the fixing outside of land is located in the block. Yeah. Uh, so at that point, maybe we're just priced into having this Honden anyway, because it's like, if you're doing the five-color Honden thing, you're going to be in green, so you yeah. might as well have your green Honden. I want to say, before we settle on a rating for this, we have not been giving the Honden a very hard time about their flavor text. I hate their flavor text. All of them have extremely stupid flavor text, so I'd like to just <laughs> read this one. But since we're on our last Honden... <laughs> I'd like to just read it out and we can read you know, it, read all five of them out. Read all of them? Yeah, well, they're all, they're only okay. a sentence each. Just read all the five Honden flavor texts and then Let me pull them all up on one page here so I can. Okay. And then and then we'll talk about this one specifically but also just in general how not good they are. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start from we'll just go through. Let's go in Wubberk. All right. Honden of Cleansing Fire says, "To the sorrow of all, its fire was turned toward those who worshiped it." Hanan of Seeing Winds in blue says, To the sorrow of all, its winds found sin in the hearts of those who once learned from its wisdom. Hanan of Night's Reach says, To the sorrow of all, its dark reach grasped and crushed those who guarded its silent vigil. Hanan of Infinite Rage says, To the sorrow of all, its rage became focused on those who once stoked it. And you can probably guess how Hanan of Life's Web's flavor text starts. To the sorrow of all, its web became a net that strangled those who helped weave it. What does any of that mean? Why, what, what is this sorrow coming from? It, it's, it's super heavy-handed. It's like, you know that old writing aphorism that you should um, show rather than tell? Mm. These fail yes. that hard, right? They, they just tell. They say, to the sorrow of all, not clear why. Mm. And then they say something abstract that's kind of hard to understand. Like, what does that even mean? 
that its web became a net that strangled those who helped. Like, I don't know what that means. Right. And then, and then all of them, except for red, red, I think is a little better because it deals damage and its flavor text says its rage became focused on those who once stoked it. Well, that makes sense. There's a fire that was stoked and then the fire turned on the mortals who stoked it. That kind of makes sense. But all the other ones have varying degrees of abstraction or just complete disconnect. Like the worst is white, you know, where it's like its fire was turned towards those who worshiped it. And as a reminder, because it's been 12 hours since we talked about that card, (laughs) um, it says that card just gains life. You know, so it's fire was turned on those who worshiped it in order to help you gain life. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, or the the blue one, it wins found sin in the hearts of those who once learned from What does that mean? Blue doesn't even care about sin. Blue doesn't care about sin. It's the color of knowledge and abstraction and amorality. I know. What does that mean? Since when did the kami care about sin? That's true. They're just natural forces. Right. Yeah, that's that's a really good point about, you know, showing versus telling. Like this line about to the sorrow of all, it's kind of the opposite of Hanakami in a way where you look at the art, you read the flavor text, and you're, you're sort of forming this sense in your mind of like the the kind of atmosphere that exists on this plane. And these are just, the Honda are just like really trying to force upon you, oh, you should feel sad about what's happening here. You should like feel bad about the Kami being mad at the mortals now. It's good to contrast it with some so many of the other better flavor texts. Like I'll just read two. Um, which I think both evoke Hanakami's one you mentioned, but other ones also evoke that feeling of sadness and loss and anxiety without like hitting you over the head with it by saying to the sorrow of all. So feast of worms, for example, says the dust beneath our feet was once part of a mighty civilization. Shall we too provide the path for a future generation? Sensei golden tail. Now, maybe because I'm very sleepy, but I actually got a slight chill reading that because it's, it's evocative. It's emotional. It connects back yes. to the effect of the card. Uh, it doesn't hit you over the head with it. It just makes you think, oh, wow, like things are truly dire. Yeah, um, right. And prior civilization, previous efforts to save things have fallen apart. We might not succeed. You know, all the all these emotions that just are not present in the in these Honda flavor texts. Right. Well, thank you for humoring me with this. I've just no, been, thank you for bringing it up. I've been bothered by all of these flavor texts from the very beginning. I think we I think we gave the Hanan of Cleansing Fire a hard time specifically, but you know, before we close out our Hanan cycle, we just needed to go through that. You know, and it hurts most because they're one of my favorite cycles. Like I really like these cards. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great cycle. Like really cool stuff going on here. Really cool card design. So I have this in a meh. I think that's wrong. I think I you put it a build around, which is clearly correct for all of these Hanans. Yeah, that's sort of our our default rating for all the Honda, I think. What about quantity? I had it at a 1x just because I'm so deeply unimpressed with the ability. I put it at 2x because that's what we've been, we've been saying either two or three on all the other ones, but I think- I think we're too generous. <laughs> I think that is going to be too much Honda. So I'm sure we're going to have to dial it back. Maybe we do start dialing it back now and just have one of these. It does cost five mana. I, I think we should take this one back to one and then we really need to take a look at where we landed on the others. Cause I, I, I think we keep realizing like there's 600 cards in this block. We can't, we can't have that many things right. at two X or three X. Right. If we're not going to have a 1400 card cube. Okay. Let's, let's call it a build around one X. Okay. Next up, we've got humble Budoka one G for a two, two human monk with shroud. So it's a bear with shroud. Uh, other than the rippling muscles on, on this guy, there really isn't that much to get excited about here. He he sure is. Like if look at the art for this humble Budoka. This guy is 
ripped. Like he is literally flexing. So I, I question his humility. This is a uh, competitive category in Magic, but I think he might be the most muscular guy in Magic. Whoa. I'm sure there's some counterexamples. Uh, most muscular human in Magic. How about that? Okay. Yeah, maybe. Okay, so who else, Connor, is muscular? Kamal what? is pretty muscular, but I yeah. don't think Kamal is more like this. beefy than this guy. Let me go look. I think it's the size of his head in relation yes. to the rest of his body that makes him look so strong. Yeah, so Kamal, I would describe Kamal's basic proportions as like World of Warcraft character proportions, which is to say <laughs> yep. his bicep is the size of his head. Mm-hmm. But this guy somehow like takes that and doubles that. <laughs> like he's, he's gigantic. Each of his shoulders is... Twice the size of his head. What's the story here? Is he meant to be a kind of Fezzik figure, like a giant who's found a peace, a peaceful way of life or something? Uh, maybe. But I who kinda, still lifts a lot? I kind of get the sense. That he, I mean, he, bro, he's still, he's still got to live. Yeah. <laughs> I get the sense kind of from these, it looks like tattoos or something on his arms. And then the flavor text says, each time wanderers entered the forest seeking enlightenment, Dosan was there waiting for them to arrive. It gives the impression that maybe he was like a, a mercenary or a ronin or something. Yeah. Uh, like yeah, some yeah. strong warrior who, you know, turned very to strong. a path of hum- a very strong warrior. Tutu, who turned to a path of humility. It's interesting to reflect that Dosan has the same stat line. So despite mm. this guy being, I don't know if this is meant to be Dosan in the art, but let's assume this guy is a Dosan-sized monk, fellow monk. Uh-huh. That seems reasonable. Uh, this guy is about 4x the size of Dosan. So it's not all about muscles. It's really not. So someone on Reddit said Shroud is a drawback, which really helped me in my evaluation of this card. And I think it's true your opponent is not going to bother pointing removal at this thing anyway. And so like the spells that are going to want to target this are like Kodama's Might to help it trade up or Strength of Cedars to, you know, help you get in for the surprise win um, when he goes unblocked. So like, I, I actually think, yeah, the two, the two, two with Shroud is basically like, he's like a worse grizzly bear and that's not a great place to be. Oof. And green has a lot of options at two. Like, I don't know. Well, just this episode, right? We've talked about Budoka Gardener and Dripping Tongue Zubera. I mean, I'm absolutely more excited about those cards than this. And later in the set, we have a bunch of cards, but Sakura Tribe Elder, for example. Like, I don't know. I don't know if there's a spot for this guy. I think that if maybe if he was a spirit or even a snake. Yes. Which we haven't seen yet. Why? He should be a snake, actually. Why isn't he a snake? There's a decent amount of snake synergy in this block. And if he was if he was one of those types that had synergy with anything, which human and monk do not, then, you know, maybe he could be a thing. But right now he just is a 2-2 with, I think that's a really good point, basically a drawback. Now you said that, I resent him even more because there's a ton of snake tribal in this set, but all of the snakes are like four drops or many of them. Um, right. And the cheaper ones are kind of bad. And if this was just like a stupid 2-2 two, two for two, that just happened to be a snake, I actually think this, that it would get a lot better. Just a big swole snake. <laughs> swole? It's just <laughs> and then they could have called it swole snake instead of humble <laughs> budoka. I think swole snake <laughs> might, <laughs> might cause some trouble. Oh, God. Oh, no. That is definitely going to be my new Call of Duty username. <laughs> Maybe Call that's it. why he's no not one, a no snake. No one take it. <laughs> swole you better lock that down right after this. <laughs> okay. Uh... Yeah, so uh, I agree. I think we should just cut this, not because I think it's unplayable, but because I just don't think it really adds anything to the environment. Um, and I think we yeah. have a lot more interesting options to play with it too. Let's just cut them. Insta cut. Okay, and next up we have Iname Life Aspect. 4 GG for a 4-4 four, four legendary creature spirit. 
When Iname life aspect dies, you may exile it. If you do, return any number of target spirit cards from your graveyard to your hand. So this, of course, is the companion to Iname Death Aspect, and then later Iname is one, uh, one of the few multicolored cards in the set. It's a huge splashy ability, at least on the surface, right? You can return any number, like any number is always an exciting phrase to see on any card. That said, I'm not super sold on Iname, largely because the Spirit Tribe already benefits from a ton of recursion. And so my worry is, based on just a teeny bit of playtesting, but mostly theory crafting, that a lot of times Iname isn't going to have that much work to do because you'll have been soul shifting the whole time. Uh, I think I feel a little better about him than you do. You know, there's there's plenty of spirits in green, and today we're only going to see one of them that actually has soul shift. And I know that that's not going to hold all the way through all the green cards of the entire block. But uh, even just as I'm scrolling through the rest of the green cards in Champions, there's just not all that much soul shift. So I'm not sure there's as much recursion as you're talking about. Yeah, let me go fact check myself on that. So there are only there are 27 cards in the whole block with soul shift. Five, seven, nine, 14 of them are in green. So it's definitely the heaviest soul shift color. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of them are terrible, uh, like Harbinger of Spring, but a lot of them are pretty solid, like Burr Grafter or Forked Branch Garami, Night Soil Kami. You know, Inami has the benefit of being able to get multiple things back regardless of their cost, because soul shift is specifically tied to a certain mana cost. Like you need to have a big enough soul shift to get back something like Moskami. And there are very few things that have a soul shift that big. But Iname can just grab any number of spirits regardless of their cost, which I think is pretty good. I mean I don't like I don't think I would draft Iname unless I was already in a deck with a lot of spirits, especially expensive ones. But you know, I'd be I think pretty happy to have him if I did. Would you be that happy, though, with a six mana 4-4 that only does something when it dies, and even then you then have to invest more mana to get the value? I mean, I think I might kind of be happy with the six mana 4-4. You know, we felt pretty good about uh, Earthshaker, and that was just a six mana 4-5. Yeah, but it was um, it was shaking the earth with every cast of a spirit or arcane spell. And Ame's bringing back every spirit that's died. I wish it wasn't just every spirit. If it was every creature, that would be interesting. That'd be pretty nice. I think today it would be every creature. Not that that matters. Yeah, if this was like a a more modern Golgari card or something, which it looks like. It looks like a strong Golgari vibes. Yeah, I like the way this is a green. You know, so the other Iname is black. Um, I like the way this one is a green card that looks green black. I think that's nice. Yeah, they tie together pretty well. It has the problem both Inames do that clearly Iname is flying or about to fly in the art, even though it doesn't have flying. Yeah, but speaking of the black one, this is definitely better than the death aspect. So you want to remind our listeners what uh, the death aspect does? Yeah, so Iname death aspect has this kind of cool like mirror effect of the life aspect. So life aspect, just a quick reminder, when it dies, you return any number of spirit cards. The death aspect, when it comes into play, you can search your deck for any number of spirit cards and put them into your graveyard. So death aspect comes into play and kind of sets up life aspect. If you happen to have both of them and want to spend 12 mana <laughs> on on 8-8 eight, eight worth of stats, yeah. then you can get this combo going. Which is pretty cool. So, I mean, he is better than that. And we gave the death aspect a meh. So I feel like life aspect sort of mathematically needs to be at least playable. According to my What math. about going back and making them both build-arounds? 
that's interesting. What what are we building around though? Aren't we going to have a lot of spirits no matter yeah, what? Yeah, I think I'm res- I'm responding that way because you're talking about kind of the pairing aspect of them, you know, which to me says they kind of live and die together. I don't normally care that much about complete cycles, but I feel like having just one Iname is just strange. They need to both be there. And I yeah. feel like if they're not getting there, they probably both get cut together. So that starts to sound a little build around me to me. Yeah, it's kind of a interesting point. I mean, they both are there for now, but I get what you're going for. And if we have Iname as one as well, then that's 24 mana worth of Iname. Oh, that's a lot of slots dedicated to cards named Iname. <laughs> It is funny how literal they were with the cycle aspect of both of these cost six. They're both four fours, even though clearly death aspect at a minimum could have gotten better stats for its literally non-existent effect in a lot of scenarios. And then they also got literal with Aname as one costing 12. So it's literally the two Aname stapled together. 12 mana, eight, eight. Yeah, it's both of them. It's, it's cute, but maybe too cute. I, I kind of like that. Yeah, maybe maybe a little too cute, but I kind of like a cycle like that where they're, you know, you look at the dragons and they all have the same effect, but slightly different mana costs. It, it does kind of offend the sense of symmetry, doesn't it? It does a little bit. And Aname, like the two Anames are in, in every way, like a perfect mirror of each other. Mana cost, stats, ability, even their art, they're basically mirroring each other with some slight differences. All right. What about build around that? Or you want to settle at build around? Yeah, let's do build around one copy. Okay, next up we have Joyous Respite, 3G for a Sorcery Arcane. You gain one life for each land you control. It's not a very exciting card, but I feel like maybe it's necessary to have in. At least it feels that way, mostly because it's Arcane. Green just does not have that much Arcane. Like I think I said a few cards ago, there are only 13 Green Arcane cards in the whole block. This is one of them. And this might... This card might just be enough to kind of pull you back in a lot of games while you're waiting to draw, probably not in Ame, but some other some other creature that that is gonna, you know, pull you back from the brink. Yeah, I think this is this is kind of your poster child for med. Like if if early on, which we probably should have done in the impact episode, we talked about a couple examples of each rating. This seems like your your kind of classic mev. No one's gonna get super excited to open Joyous Respite or to include it in the deck, and it does fill a role. I think it helps green bridge to the mid and late game where it's strongest. Tap tap mm-hmm. on Reddit said it helps beat flyers, and I can I can see that. I don't know that it's super good tech. Like if your opponent's beating down with a dragon, this is probably only buying you a turn, turn and a half. So it's it's more like a fog. It's like a f- four mana four mana fog that scales slightly it's one of the few life gain cards in the set that's even marginally playable i struggle with the playability of life gain because i feel like learning to play magic in the mid 2000s from reading on the web basically every magic strategy article for beginners the main point that they all hammer home was like life gain is bad like don't you feel like every daily mtg article for like five years basically talked about life gain not being good yeah, and it took me a very long time to realize why that's true. <laughs> yeah, and well, and now I feel like I'm I'm so biased against life gain, like I struggle to recognize it as ever being good. You know, there's clearly some number where this is good. Like if this was four mana gain 20 life, I think everyone would agree that card is really solid. Um, maybe too good. Even the fact that, you know, with like a ridiculous number like four mana gain 20 life, you're still I'm saying still thinking like, about it. maybe even too good. <laughs> like maybe it's too good. I think you're right that this is like the quintessential meh. There's just nothing to um, 
really be joyous about with this card other than the art, which is a, a very pretty Rebecca Gway See, piece. I was going to give even that a meh because it has it has the Rebecca Gway style. It's really beautiful and painterly. But for me, the art itself is kind of like, it doesn't really have a focal point. It's kind of unimaginative compositionally. It's just like fountain in the center, flowers in the foreground, done. You know, there's nothing Kamigawa about it. Like it's it's not bad. It's just kind of compared to a lot of Rebecca Gway's other pieces, which tend to have a little bit of weirdness to them or some an unexpected like element like Hanakami. Yeah, exactly. Or um, I don't know. For some reason, I'm blanking on Rebecca Gway art, but I think you know what I mean. I still kind of like this almost because it does look like it looks almost childish, but not in an off-putting way. Like the foreground is drawn very simply with these very bright kind of primary colors. Uh, there's a fountain of maybe water, I guess, mm-hmm. in the back. The, <laughs> so <laughs> magical arcane water that's healing you. You know, this is another example of wizards joked about this with persecute artists, but this is another example of like 85% of Rebecca Gway's art, especially not her non-recent art, went on just absolute dog cards. <laughs> no one is ever going to yeah. play or remember. It's really tragic. So is this an absolute dog? Uh, no, I think it's a meh 1X. You know, I think it'll have a place. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd want more than one of them just because I don't think any deck would want more than one. I mean, maybe it would. Right. Maybe the candles glow deck is a bant candles <laughs> glow deck. Whoa, I'm digging it. I don't know. I feel like that's a stretch from a mana perspective, though. Yeah. And does that deck have any other reason to go into green? I think that's the main problem. Is like, as you're saying, if I look at the green arcane spells, basically you have this card. You have a couple of pump. You have Kodama's Reach, and then you've got a bunch of pump spells, and then a bunch of cards that we're going to cut, probably. <laughs> like It's pretty thin yeah. pickings in terms of variety. Like There's nothing else that that theoretical Candles Glow deck would want from green, I think, except this. Yeah. I think you're, you're right that this is a meh 1x, and a lot of times it probably is just going to maybe sit even in the sideboard, but like it is something you can splice kodama's might onto like that's worth something you know, four mana they could have made this an instant and nothing would have broken wow they yeah they really could have it's just so you could splice a kodama's might on it you know at the time when you actually want to pump spell at instant speed that would have been a nice little gift all right i'm, I'm fine with mad one x all right let's go with that all right let's move on to our last kamigawa dragon jugan the rising star three g g g for a legendary creature, Dragon Spirit, 5-5 five, five, Flyer. When Jugon dies, you may distribute five plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures. So the general consensus, I think, is that this is the worst of the dragons, at least if you go by play rate. Cube Cobra, um, if I look at the stats, this is by far the least played dragon. Kukosho, the black one, appears in 2,150 cubes. Kega, the blue one, appears in 1,581 Yose in 1,187, Ryusei in 918, and Jugon in a measly 729. Uh, and a similar Oof. story for EDH rec. Like Kukosho is in 17,000 decks, Ryusei in 7,000, Kaga in 5,000, Yose in 3,600, and Jugon in just 1,700. So he's, he's well off 50% below the next burst. Okay, so all that out of the way, a bad dragon is still a dragon. A 5 5 flyer is still a 5-5 flyer for six, especially in Kamigawa and especially in green. Like this is the kind of body you just don't get in green, which I think is why we have this triple designated mana. And I think the effect is actually 
the second worst of the effects. I think it's better than Ryusei, the red one who basically wipes the board on death. Like this is a pretty meaningful advantage to leave behind. He kind of replaces himself on death. Yeah. And there's actually, there's a lot more flexibility to Jugon than there is to Ryusei, obviously, because it's not killing everything. Uh, None of the other dragons have like a a death trigger that you can use to selectively help your side of the board. Uh Uh, The blue one, Kega, you know, targets... Uh, an opponent's creature, the white one, taps down opponent's creatures, but Jugon is kind of unique in being able to like enhance your own position on the board. Yeah, I think the only real problem with Jugon is just that mana cost of three designated is going to be tough to cast. Um, I think there will be a lot of times Jugon sits in your hand. He's certainly not going to reliably come down on six in any two plus color deck, but I think I'd still be happy to have him in basically any green deck. I think he's an easy auto include. I agree. And I mean, if you're going to have triple designated, like green is probably the best color to have it in, right? Yeah, that's a great point. Yep. You got the fixing to hopefully help make this castable, which is good because we got at least one more triple designated green card coming up today. Yep. Coming soon. So auto include one. Yeah, I think so. Auto include one. Uh, This also incidentally commands 10 decks on EDH rec, which is not a lot, but you know, I love that every commander, no matter how small has somebody who's tried to make it uh, into their commander. Oh, that, that makes me sad. That's one of the lowest numbers we've had so far. I I think think. we're going to get even lower later today, but yeah, 10 is 10 is not a large number. All right. I I feel like I've gotten the short end of the stick on the cards that I'm reading on this episode. <laughs> you really have. We keep trading cool cards and lame cards. So I really hope in green part two that I can make up for it with something because this next card is Jukai Messenger. G for a 1-1 human monk with forest walk. There's just nothing, nothing to love here. It's, it's just a 1-1 for one with no relevant creature types with an ability that annoys me and is probably meaningless most of the time even if you have forest walk like up and working like he doesn't synergize with anything and he's only a one one so like what you you now have a one one unblockable like woohoo yeah i mean one ones for one we've talked about it it really aren't good in almost any format they're particularly not good in this format which is just too slow like you when, when we've played test games, even a much better uh, one drop like Devoted Retainer, you know, what it happens is it swings in twice and deals two damage and then it does nothing for the rest of the game. <laughs> I'm like, this guy's going to do even yeah. more nothing for the rest of the game. I think green is a color that's particularly poorly positioned to take advantage of this kind of effect because green is all about four, five, and six. It's all about getting the beefy mid-range threats out there. Like, there's just no reason to run this card. Yeah, not at all. Uh, and again, it just, I've, I've sort of felt this way about almost all of the human monks that we have seen and will see, but you know, why, why isn't he a snake here? Like if, if we're gonna, you, you, you can see that wizards like wanted human monks to sort of be part of the landscape of green in this block, but there's such a, a boring part. Like there's no, there's no synergy between them. They don't really have any sort of coherent theme in terms of like activated abilities or triggered abilities or anything like that. They're all a little bit different and mostly pretty boring. Uh, nothing really ties him together thematically. And I actually looked to see how many, I wanted to see like why green monks in this set and is this a thing anywhere else in magic? Mm-hmm. And it, it pretty much is not. So there's 23 green monks in all of magic what percentage of all 15 of them oh that's a good I'll, I'll work on that while you keep keep ranting all right work on that yeah i'm gonna keep going here 15 of the 23 green monks in magic are either in og kamigawa or neon dynasty 
that leaves eight other green monks in every other set that's ever been printed. Mm-hmm. One of those eight monks, Thelonite monk from Fallen Empires, is an insect monk cleric, which is already more interesting than any of the human monk cards in this set. That is a heck of a type line right there. Isn't that great? That's a great type line. Really boring card. Super boring. Uh, so there are 103 monks in total in Magic. So white leads the pack, as you'd expect, with 42 monks. Green is actually number two at 23. There's 15 blue monks, 10 red, and one lonely black monk. There's one black monk? Yeah, it's a flip card from Saviors of Kamigawa, oh, as wow. you'd expect. And actually, it might have the best art of any flip card. I'm just going to throw that out there now, looking at it. Whoa. Yeah, Kuan over Ascendant. There. I don't want to spoil that discussion, though, for a few months from now. <laughs> One thing I will say for this thing, I wouldn't say the art is exceptional, but it's really technically well-realized. It's a better piece than this card deserves. Uh, and I'm looking, and it's actually by Therese Nielsen, and I think you can see that this is by one of Magic's strongest artists. It's very kind of strange and spooky in its energy. It's got an unusual composition and pose. Um, it's both painterly and yet realistic. I don't know. It's really nice. Yeah. At the same time, it feels like something you could theoretically see in a museum. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I need to load up on Jukai Messenger foils. <laughs> this is that, 31 that cents in foil. Cake is the cheapest foil. If this did not have 31? a Therese Nielsen art, I guarantee you this would not, this would be even less than 31 cents. That seems like a lot. Yeah. I don't think anyone's collecting this for their Forest Walk tribal deck. Insta cut. Okay. Next up, Kami of the Hunt. Two and a G for a 2-2 spirit. Whenever you play a spirit or arcane spell, Kami of the Hunt gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Oh man, this card. Uh, So this card, I think, doesn't read that great and it reads better than it plays in my experience. Like I think this card could basically read at the beginning of your upkeep, flip a coin. If you win the flip, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Because in practice, basically what seems to happen with this thing is it's usually a a gray ogre. It's a 2-2 for three. Occasionally, it's a 3-3. Very, very, very rarely, it's a 4-4. Almost never does it matter. Like in green, you can just get better creatures at 3 than this thing. Uh, Gnarled Mass, for example, is just a straight 3-3 for 3, which uh, this might sound strange, but that was constructed playable at the time this came out. (laughs) That was a revolutionary card. (laughs) But anyway, like green has three drops in the set that are not conditionally a (laughs) 3-3. So there's just not much reason to play this thing. I kind of have a grudge against this card because I I think it's probably the card that I have the most of in green. Oh, really? As far as the cards in boxes under my bed. I think I have more commies of the hunt than any other card in green from this set. Mm. And close to the most of any green card I own at all. I think number one is Simic (laughs) Ragworm, which is maybe even more forgettable. (laughs) There's like 24 Simic Ragworms. But it felt like this thing just popped up in every single pack, and I didn't like it at any point when it popped up. Like if this, I what bothers me about this is y- you're right; it it does read better than it plays. And if it if it got plus one plus one counters instead of a temporary whoa, plus whoa, one plus you'd one, you'd be going. You're going pretty far there for Kamigawa block, my friend. Yeah, you would be going pretty far, but it would be like such a tank and still kind of reasonable, maybe not in Kamigawa, but like as a newer card. Yeah, I think this thing could get like plus two, plus two, or maybe just plus one, plus one and trample, just something to give it a, it doesn't need that much more oomph, but just a teeny bit of oomph. Vigilance, maybe just give it vigilance all the time or something. Yeah. 
Well, that'd be pretty weird in, in green. Uh, green gets vigilance now, but I think you're right at this time. I don't think they really decided on that. Well, and this was the first set that had vigilance as a keyworded ability. That's so right. I think it was like very supposed in this set, supposed to be very much part of the samurai. I see, that's another example where they were so tied up in the flavor rules that, you know, play, play design yeah. took a backseat. I had this in a Mea 1X, but. Honestly, I I could see cutting it. Not not because it's terrible, but just because it it so rarely does what you think it's gonna do. It's just kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if we're if we're talking about having it in as a meh one X, then that's true. Kind of what's the point? You know, it doesn't really serve a purpose the way that joyous respite, might. right? Where that's just a unique. It's effect. just kind of another creature, yeah. right? All right, let's just uh, let's just cut it. I do. I will say, I think the art here is okay. It kind of reminds me of Spirited Away. It reminds me of the like. Goo monster, no face guy from Spirited Away. Uh, I wonder if it was inspired by that. But I, I like the art. A lot more teeth. Yeah. Huge teeth. All right. Let's go to another card that proves you really got the short end of the stick in this episode so far. That might change later. Yay. We've got Kashi Tribe Reaver. 3G for a 3-2 Snake Warrior. Uh, whenever it deals combat damage to a creature, tap that creature, and it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. You can also pay 1G to regenerate Kashi Tribe Reaver. This has always felt like a really disappointing card to me, mostly because I I tried to build a snake deck uh, back in the day. I think there was maybe even a snake like pre-constructed deck. Oh, wow. I'll, I'll go work on that while you keep going here. Yeah, to fact check me on that. But, you know, this, this is one of a, a few snakes that kind of fills out the mid-range of the snake deck. And it's just not that... Exciting, you know, a, a 3-2 for 4 mana is not great, obviously. The the sort of snake poison ability of tapping down a creature and keeping it tapped for a turn, basically f- like freezing it, is not very exciting. You know, it feels underwhelming for what snakes should be doing, which feels like it should be death touch or something. Yeah, it is. a. It, I've always thought that too. It's a very funny signature ability. It's not bad. It's just kind of, eh, it doesn't. It doesn't have that much effect typically on the game in my experience, but it's fine. I feel like that snake ability is okay-ish, but the regen is what you're really here for. And I think that's worth it. You know, I think a, it's basically a hill giant that can regen and has some minor upside. And I think that's good enough-ish in Kamigawa. Yeah, I, I think the regen is is real and makes this better than the next mid-range snake we're going to look at. Uh, yeah, it's just a tough one to to be very happy about. So I, I did a fact check. You have a great memory. This was part of the Snake's Path expert level from back when they wow. did that pre-constructed deck, which is a deck that would cost $13.12 to reconstruct in paper if this hadn't happened to have a Sensei's Divining Top in it, which is like a $60 card now, Oh, which is great. <laughs> oh man, I wish I still had that know, top right? somewhere. Um, I'll put a link to the MTG Goldfish copy of this deck in the show notes. Honestly, I kind of want to go play like a Kamigawa Precon v. Kamigawa Precon. I think that'd be a lot of fun. So too. There was like a black Nazumi deck, I want to say, that had Jita in it. Uh-huh. So there's like two, at least two pre-constructed decks in Kamigawa where... Almost everything in there is worthless, but then there's one card that's like the most broken card in the entire block that is worth far more than the pre-constructed deck. Yes, the one that had Jite in it. What was that? I want to think, I think that might've been the Ninja deck. I think it was Nazumi. The Ninja pre-con. Was it? I think it was Nazumi or something. Let me, let's. I remember one time, you know, at the time Jite was whatever, like a $40 card and we found two copies of that pre-con at our local grocery store and we were over the moon. 
It was a big day. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've gotten a little bit far afield here. I have one more thought actually on the Kashi Tribe Reaver, which is that I really dislike this art. I think it's so, something goofy about it. Like, I know she's a snake person, but she's kind of too long, too awkwardly positioned. Like, I can't tell really where she is or what she's doing or how she's possibly balancing herself like this. And her hair is like 20 feet long. I just think it's too, it's too goofy to me. It's kind of too dynamic and it's it's very comic book. Yes, that's a good way to put it. It's very comic book vibe. There's like so much movement happening. There's so much foreshortening with her, one of her arms coming out holding the sword. Uh, and it's like, uh, it's, a, it's a lot to take in for a card that is not a lot to take in. Yeah, okay. Before we settle on inclusion, let me just get you all five Kamigawa pre-cons. Let's just get this out of the way. So in white, we had Way of the Warrior. No points for guessing uh, what the theme was there. Connor, what do you guess the theme is? You won't get points, but I still want you to guess. Oh, oh I didn't know this was on me. Way of yep. the Warrior? I mean, that's literally that's, Bushido. That's correct. That is the white Bushido deck. Nailed it. Okay, next. And let's make this whole thing a guessing game. Okay, next up. This is going to be a lot harder. Spirit Bane. Put some thought into it. <sighs> Boy, there's a lot of ways that could go. Bane is kind of a like black-sounding word, mm-hmm. but then... Like the red shamans really hate spirits. Yeah, yeah. Give me a hint. Yeah, so who is the meanest to spirits in a mechanical sense in this set? Who really dunks on spirits? Uh, Did I just make it harder? Uh, I mean, I feel like red does thematically, but not very well. Not very effectively. No, you got there. It is actually, It is actually the red one with Kumano. Kumano and friends, and yes, really. Okay, you're on a roll. Hey, and that's just such a forgettable, forgettable like cycle of cards. I'm surprised they made a deck. Cards out go of out it. to anyone who bought this with four copies of Aki Avalanchers and three copies of Aki Rock Speaker uh, among much uh, else. But I mean, what else? What else could you do with a red theme <laughs> deck? Well, I mean, you could have given them um, a single glacial ray, which you don't get in mm-hmm. the entire deck because I guess it's not spirit themed so that just seems like harsh okay uh two more mm. two more oh no one more kami reborn what colors do you think you're looking at there colors black and green you got that right yes black and green and this was back in the day when wizards had a rule you could only get like two rares in a pre-con and this is gonna hurt one of the rares is iname death aspect and there is no iname life aspect in it instead you get a long forgotten <laughs> go now what is that about what? I know. It's not brutal. Well, they they got to keep you searching for something. Yeah. That's just wow. that's just wrong. I'm going to come out here and say that that's just immoral. Okay. Was well, that all of them? That's all of them. There's only four, which is weird. Okay. Well, I've completed my fact check of the G Tech okay. deck. Yep. And it is it is a Betrayers of Kamigawa theme deck called called Rat's Nest. So you're saying it is rat themed, which is Nazumi themed. Wow. Featuring Umezawa's Jite. And patron of the Nazumi. Man, I know I couldn't have kept all the packaging from my childhood, but I would give a lot to still own the packaging for these things. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, so I think we I think we forgot to name a quantity for this. I have it as a, <laughs> I have it as a one what X are we doing? just because it seems fine to include, but I can't imagine ever wanting more than one versus any number of other cards. I feel like we should have two copies of this if snakes kind of end up being a thing in the cube, because there is a bit of tribal synergy. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's some good snake lords. If they end up being a thing, I feel like we need two of these. And if snakes don't end up being a thing, then I say no copies. I don't, I could be surprised by this. I don't think I want to go to no copies because there's not a lot of regeneration. And I, I like highlighting that as a thing that existed at this era in Magic. Uh, okay, okay. Should we start at two then and then? Yeah, two's fine. With one being soft floor. Okay, let's go to our other Kashi tribe member, Kashi tribe warriors. Three GG for a two, four snake warrior. Whenever Kashi tribe warriors deals combat damage to a creature, tap that creature and it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. This unfortunately is the end of the card. Um, it's, it's just that snake <laughs> ability. There are just a lot of better things to do at five and green. There's not that many, as many as you would think perhaps, but there are a lot of other green five drops like the next card we're going to talk about that are just way, way better and way more interesting than the Kashi tribe warriors. And I just can't, I can't include it in my, in, I just can't, I don't have the heart to put this in my cube. There's just nothing about it that excites or interests me. This is the uh, other mid range snake that I was alluding to. And it's just, it's the reaver, but with a worse rate and no regen, it's just, like why yeah i don't know why it's not like a three five or i don't know something or or maybe why doesn't it have reach why not just give this thing reach yeah i mean they're up in the trees in this art that's true they're literally way up there in the trees speaking of the art i wanted to point out that there are three different kashi tribe snakes in kamigawa block this is the second one of course and all three of them look super different from one another these Kashi tribe warriors look like a completely different snake than the Reaver. Uh, and both of them look like a totally different snake. That's true. She's she's a lime green. She is lime green. These guys are uh, gray, basically. Yeah, a little bit purple, maybe. Uh-huh. I can't remember what the third one was, but it also looks different. Kashi tribe elite and saviors. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and that kind of looks like a, it's a very lizard, lizardy looking snake. Can I just, as a teaser, read you uh, the first line of Kashi Tribe Elite's flavor or rules text? I think I can guess what it is, but it's go not ahead. what you think. It is legendary snakes you control have shroud. Wow, you're not going to find that text on any other card. <laughs> no, that I think that will remain unique text for all wow. of Magic's history, all eternity. What a great snapshot! Kashi Tribe Warriors, are we pretty agreed? This is an easy instacut. Yeah, let's just get it out. Just too forgettable. Okay, finally. Finally, an exciting card Ooh, for yeah, me. Yeah, we had a tough run here. <laughs> yeah, I, I needed something to look forward to, and this was it. Kodama of the North Tree. Two GGG for a 6-4 Legendary Spirit with Trample and Shroud. So this is just uh, obviously much more powerful than uh, almost any other creature that we've seen, just in terms of raw stats uh, and mana and having Trample. You know, there's not a lot going on here complexity-wise, but this is just a big, beefy, legendary spirit that's going to make your opponent's life pretty hard. Yeah, he's just a big old ball of stats and keywords, and it totally works. He's kind of like the questing beast yeah. of Champions of Kamigawa. Now, he's not hes not quite questing beast in terms of impact, but in Champions, I think he's almost similarly threatening. Like, we've had a few test games where you've resolved this against me, and every time it's like, oh my god, like, I'm just... Am I just losing? Like, yeah. Like, what do you do about this? Am I just trading two or three creatures and taking a couple damage? Like, this thing does work. Let alone if you manage to soul shift it, then it's just like the game is over. Yeah, he really uh, brings the pain. Um, little lore tidbit here. Uh, just 
since since we're going to be on a bit of a Kodama streak for the next two cards. It's Kodama from here to the end of the episode, actually. Nothing but Kodama cards. Oh, you're right. There's, yeah, just a ton of Kodamas. So we got to put this out there now. Kodamas are tree spirits in Japanese folklore, which, you know, works out well for Kodama of the North Tree. And it turns out that the phenomena of a delayed echo in a forest is sometimes attributed to them huh. in Japanese folklore. So if there's some echo in a forested valley, then it's said that the echo coming back is actually a Kodama. Yeah, I think the um, the little forest uh, forest spirits in Princess Mononoke, you know, the ones with the rattling heads, I think they're also called Kodamas mm-hmm. canonically. Because oh. if you Google Kodama, that's what comes up. This one's a little different. Uh, yeah, he's a little less snuggly. Little more terrifying. He is the art here is awesome, by the way. It's terrifying and sort of powerful, and it has the kami fantastical elements, but not it's not so far into fantastical that you can't tell what's going on. Like he's clearly very threatening and advancing on on the viewer rapidly. He's he's scary looking. Yeah, I kind of like that about this card. Like it, it it looks very muscular and threatening, but in a way where it's really hard to figure out even what the basic shape of this thing uh-huh. is. There's a lot of cool detailed elements in there, like his hands sort of look like fans. Yeah, I think they are. They're like giant fan, bladed fans, clawed fans. He's got this big dripping tongue, Zubera style tongue. He's got a little mask embedded in his face. Yeah, aside from that, it's pretty hard to tell like what this even is. Yeah, I think he's got one eyeball on the his right side of his body. But on the left side of his body in an equivalent position, he has oh, like yeah. a five arms. Yeah, he's he's really kind of unsettling and scary looking. It's great, great art. Yeah. Yeah. And and unsettled and scared is how you're gonna feel when he's trampling towards yeah, you. Yeah, and it's also, you know, the other thing I like about the art is it's um it's it's scary, but in a green way, right? It's not like it's moving into the black kind of horror space. It's still very bestial looking, but it, it managed to also look intimidating. Yeah, great piece. Yeah, for sure. You know, this card reminds me a lot of Weatherseed Tree Folk, you know, the classic recursive five drop, five three trampler that comes back to your hand. And, mm-hmm. you know, not as good, but it, I think it's got a similar kind of beater role uh, and it can really beat down. Yeah, it's definitely going to beat down in, <laughs> in the cube. Yeah, I think it's an auto-include, right? 1x auto-include? It is for me. Uh, and by the way, this commands six decks on EDH Rec, so hands off to the people somehow building a deck around a six-four trampler shroud. I don't. You can't even. You can't even put equipment on him. So like, it's not even a Voltron deck. What are they doing with this thing? <laughs> They're just trampling. Yeah. All right. I respect it. Okay. Let's turn to the next Kodama. That's right. There's a Kodama of the North Tree, and he's accompanied by a Kodama of the South Tree. Two GG for a legendary spirit. Four-four. Whenever you play a spirit or arcane spell, each other creature you control gets plus one, plus one, and gains trample until end of turn. Uh, The first Kodama is a real card. This is absolutely also a real card. Plus one, plus one, and trample to everything on your board is is such a big boost. Like, this thing is really a game-ending threat when it comes down. It's kind of terrifying that it's just four mana, to be honest, because starting the turn after you resolve this, like, I don't know, you're easily getting like plus five, plus five in stats across your board, or maybe even plus 10, plus 10 if you double spell. I think this is one of the strongest spirit craft triggers uh, in the set. Just super powerful ability. My first thought when I saw this was Kami of the Hunt. Uh, yeah, the poor Kami of the Hunt really suffers by comparison. He, he really does. So there's... You know, they're they're so close both in like in stats, not really in stats, but in cost in the kind of trigger, which is also plus one plus here, plus one here, but uh in uh 
kind of more substantial way. And the Kami of the Hunt just looks so miserable. Costs one less for two less stats and such a worse trigger. Yeah, this was an era where Wizards wasn't afraid to make commons like really bad and similar rares really good. Like obviously that's always part of the game. They got to sell packs. But I feel like back back then it was a lot more uh a lot more uh sharp a distinction whereas now I feel like even a lot of commons and certainly many uncommons now are fun, interesting, playable cards. Uh whereas back in this day like a lot of your commons are just you know, you might as well just put them in a recycling bin. <laughs> Yeah, just shove them under the bed with the commies of the hunt and simic ragworms. I also love, from a flavor perspective, I love that there's a Kadama of the North tree and the South tree, and there's a Kadama of the Center tree in Betrayers. And then in Neon Dynasty, the most recent Kamigawa set this year, they revisited that cycle and completed it with the Kodama, the East tree and West tree. And if these Kodamas are good, those Kodamas are stupid good, or at least they would be if they appeared in the set. So I, I yeah. love that they uh, went back and finished that cycle. Yep, they've completed the Kodamas. This, uh, well, this commands just 21 decks on EDH rec. It actually appears at 733, which isn't amazing, but it's not nothing. I assume people are just sticking this into Bant spirit tribal decks or something, but I, I was kind of happy to see that Kodama of the South Trees managed to make a bit of a name for himself. That raises a question for me. Which Kodama do you think is better, both in our cube and just overall? Oh, wow. It's hard to say. Uh, so I think overall Kodama, the, well... I don't know about overall exactly. I think Kodama of the South Tree is certainly a more interesting card, right? It tickles your brain more than Kodama of the North Tree. And I think North Tree is pretty is more clearly outclassed, I guess, by other cards. Because at the end of the day, it's just a beater, right? So you could just compare its stats and abilities against other big, fat, dumb creatures. And I suspect it would come up wanting against any number of others. Whereas Kodama of the South Tree does something pretty much unique. Yeah, therefore, I, I think the South Tree is sort of a generally more interesting card more playable in a broader context. Maybe if even if you had a non-Kamigawa cube with the strong spirit theme, you could put it in. Although if I were, I would hate that word arcane. I think that's just confusing. In our cube, I think it's much closer, but I think I'd still give the vote to Kodama the South Tree. Like the body isn't that much worse. Like 4-4 four, four is still a very real body. And then boosting your whole team is just, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot to get for four mana in the set. I'm surprised this doesn't cost six. It's weird comparing this to Aname. Like this is just a four mana four four with a really, really good spirit craft trigger. Yeah, I mean, this can save a creature if you do something tricky. This can pump up your whole team for kind of an overrun effect because they all gain trample too. Well, even if it was just plus one, plus one, I'd be here for it. But then you throw trample on top and it's like, I don't know, you're getting pretty close to being able to get an overrun effect every turn. It's like a planeswalker. <laughs> There should be a Kodama Planeswalker. Oh, yeah. That's next. Next Kamigawa set in another 18 years. I want a Kodama Planeswalker. Yes. Kodama Ascended or something. Connor, mm. before we move on, what in the heck is going on in this art? Ooh, I'm glad you asked. I'm not actually, because it's really hard to explain or figure out where to start with this. It's a, bu a big bug. Big bug with covered in organs. With a lot of like organs and like pussy looking, it looks like kind of half of a um, really gross anatomy drawing from a textbook grafted onto a bug. Yeah, I I wish this wasn't so gross. Frankly, I don't understand the the connection to really anything here <laughs> to the South Tree to the yeah. What about this is rallying your other creatures? Look at the flavor text, too. I'm just reading it now for the first time. The monks of the South Tree had always reveled beneath their Kodama's friendly gaze. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I, I cannot imagine anyone reveling anywhere near this thing, let alone it having a friendly gate. Like, which part of it is even doing the friendly gazing? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it is kind of disconnected. And even the tree part, it's like, I don't know. Where are the trees in this? I, I, actually, if you look at it, it's kind of like, is this thing like 4,000 feet tall? Because it kind of looks like there's some scrubby trees and mountains. I think those are supposed to be trees. And it's like, it's crossing a river. It's freaking weird. Which it is larger than the width and, of. And it, that adds up to a 4-4. Pretty confused art. While the uh, north tree is just this small kind of muscly thing. Yeah, he looks like he's about maybe seven feet wide based on the trees behind him. Yeah. I think it's still an easy auto-include, though, at a 1X. Yeah, I agree. Okay, our third Kodama card is not a Kodama, but is an instant. It's Kodama's Might. G for an instant arcane. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn, and it has splice onto arcane for G. This is pretty much an auto-include for me, Mostly because of the splicing, but also just like this is a really solid spell to have in green in this block specifically. It's it's kind of strictly worse than giant growth, at least in terms of just stats. But uh, this is Kamigawa that we're talking about. So frankly, we don't have giant growth. Yeah, this card is great. You know, giant growth is, I don't know if too good is quite right. I don't know if it's quite too good, but giant growth is good, I guess. Uh, it's a really genuinely solid card. It's a card they only sometimes print, I think in part because it, it's a really big pump. It really can make a big difference. Uh, and I think plus two plus two is adequate. Um, not amazing. It's not plus three plus three, but it's adequate. And then, yeah, as you're saying, the splice thing here is very real. If you splice this even once, let alone twice, you're feeling great. And that's a total of plus four plus four off a single card and just two mana. That's a totally reasonable rate. Uh, and I, re I really like this card. To me, this is one of the most iconic uh, arcane spells, actually. And and it's, it's a splice card that, you know, you would want to have a lot of the time. There's some splice cards where you're you're looking for the situation where you actually want to cast it and then you also need to have something to splice it onto. You know, there there are so many situations where you're going to get some value out of splicing this. Yeah, it's a solid pump spell. It's going to fill a role. It's not the most splashy or flashy card, but it's almost always going to get into your green deck and you're almost always going to be happy to have one or maybe even two of them. Uh, they are really good together, actually. Like having two Konamas Mites in your deck is wonderful. Yeah, I think splicing this onto itself is good stuff. So I have this in auto-include. Sounds like you have it in auto-include too. So I think it's really just about quantity then. I think so. I, I went with four mostly because I like it and I like the idea of having as many of these as possible. But I don't know if that's excessive. Like it is it is pretty strong. And I don't know if having that many of them floating. Yeah, I don't know if it's even too good so much as like, I feel like 4X is rarefied air. Like I think we've only put like one or two things at 4X. Um, candles glow, of course. <laughs> Our iconic well, 4X glow. card. Uh, I think for a hot minute, I had Aki Avalanches at a 4X. And then uh, we realized that was a terrible idea. You sure did. You know, and apart from that, we really haven't put much else at that 4X slot. Uh, Wicked Akuba, it looks like we put in at a 4X. And Glacial Ray. You know, I like the Glacial Ray comparison. I think this is not quite as good as Glacial Ray, but it fulfills a similarly important role in green. Yeah, it is kind of a, a green ray. Yeah, something about it to me, just four just feels like a lot. Does the deck really want more than one? Or certainly, I don't think you want more than two of these in a deck, right? Like, I don't think you put three of them in. That's just too much dead weight. Too many times you have two Kodama's Bites and no creatures. Yeah, but I guess the question is how many do we want floating around in the draft, right? Because having four versus three is going to 
obviously affect how often it shows up. Yeah, maybe maybe four is too much. We got to keep that special. Yeah, that's got to be reserved for the truly iconic cards like Candles Glow. <laughs> for the Candles Glows. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of those first cards people name. Yes, the cards everyone knows and loves. I can't wait for that deck to come together. All right, should we start at three? Yeah, let's start at three. All right, let's close things out with one more Kodama card and what is actually, I would say, the most famous and certainly the most played card from this entire set, Kodama's Reach. Kodama's Reach is two and a G for a Sorcery Arcane, and it says, search your library for two basic land cards. Reveal those cards and put one into play tap and the other into your hand, then shuffle. All right, so Kodama's Reach is, as I said, by far the most played card from the set, and actually one of the most played cards in Magic, if you consider the popularity of EDH. Uh, This is played in fully 35% of all EDH rec decks, and if we assume that's similar to the overall proportion of EDH decks on the planet, that's basically one out of every three EDH decks in the world runs a Kodama's Reach. It's the number 11 most played card in the entire format. It's the number six most played colored spell. In the entire format, it's played in 15% of cubes. Like Kodama's Reach shows up all over the place. And I suspect it's probably the card most responsible for anyone remembering what Arcane is or that it exists. Definitely. I'll say in our format, I think it's pretty good. I don't think it's as exceptional as you might think from the stats. I feel like ramp and cube and limited pure ramp often kind of disappoints me. You know, it's sometimes just not worth going down a card in a limited sense just to go up on lands. I mean, not literally going down a card, right? This is kind of like Divination, you draw two. And I think like Divination, this card is pretty good and limited, but it's not, I don't think it'll be cube defining, for example, in the way it's format defining in EDH. Yeah, probably not. And I think I think you're right that the value in a cube is is not the same as it is in Commander, especially if you have, you know, a wacky multicolor, like three or four color Commander deck that you're running. Kodama's Reach is a lot more valuable. Yeah, and in Commander, you're trying to get to like eight, 10 mana, right? Like you, you want a ton of mana in Commander. Right. Well, you're trying to get to 10 lands for Budoka Gardener. That's true. This is best buddies with the Budoka Gardener. In this format, so. And it, it plays well with Sweep. You know, the iconic Savior's effect that lets you return lands to your hand. Who doesn't like doing that? Yes. <laughs> Actually, it plays, going back to the land thing that we talked about with Cup with uh, Azusa, it plays nice with the Moonfolk. Gives you more fodder. Yeah. I mean, you got to get them out there first. I guess one of them you already get out there and then gives you one more to play and then bounce. I think I'm actually warming to this a little more. And green is, I think, the most expensive in mana. Maybe not the most mana-hungry color, but it's close. It's got a lot of expensive cards, some of which are pretty hard to cast, as we've been talking about. There's a lot of double and triple designated cards in green. I mean, I don't don't think the value proposition is quite as good here as it is in EDH, but I do think I'd be pretty happy to, to draft this, especially if I was trying to push into a more multicolored kind of deck like this just this is so great for that yeah even when ramp isn't good which i don't think it always is good but i always enjoy ramping it's just it's just a fun thing to do yeah i mean i have this as an auto include mostly just on like star power (laughs) i like star power i had it as playable but i think you're right what regardless of what i think about its actual power level i can't have a kamigawa block cube and not include at least one or two copies of the most notable card from kamigawa in terms of play rate yeah Absolutely. Okay, so then we're just litigating quantity again. So I have this at a at a two X just because I don't I don't know if you want that much ramp running around. Where do you land? I mean, I was saying three X, but I don't know. It's it's hard to know, it's hard to know how much is is too much for this because you know you get one and you're happy with that. I think. I guess one question is: Is there a ramp deck? Like, is there a green ramp deck in this format? 
there are some very expensive things, right? Like Vine Kami, Thousand Lane Kami. Like there are seven and eight drops. So I don't know if there might not be a true ramp deck, but there are very expensive things you're trying to cast in green, especially. Yeah, maybe it is three then. Because then you've got, you know, you've got some, at least some theoretical ramping you want to do. You've got the kind of multicolor possibilities that it hopefully opens up. So maybe we do go with three and bring it down to two if it's just showing up too much. Yeah, I love the art here too. I that for me, Kodama's Reach has gotten some other art over the years. I don't know why. This art is perfect, as is. Yes. You want to describe it? Uh, yeah, actually for a Kamigawa card, it's relatively easy to describe. It's a kind of barren landscape bordered by a forest. And emerging from the forest is a hand made of like woods and vines, and it's surrounded by some kind of floaty leaf kami. So yeah, it's it's pretty straightforward for a Kamigawa arcane spell. Yeah, that about sums it up. And it, it, you know, it just works. It's like the hand is reaching out and it's revitalizing this barren landscape. Like it just uh, works well with the effect. It's simple. It's iconic. Yeah, the uh, the art and the flavor text kind of line up nicely here. The flavor text says, the land grows only where the kami will it. And then you can see this uh, Kodama's hand is just, it's literally reaching out of the woods and like spreading uh, the forest. It's kind of, kind of weird, actually, that the flavor text says, the land grows only where the kami will it. Why? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, par- I'm not parsing why that's weird. <laughs> the land doesn't grow. I mean, literally, the land from your deck oh. grows, I guess. Huh. But it's a forest that's growing, right? Yeah, but this can fetch non-forest. That's interesting. Yeah, huh. Terraforming. Kodama's terraforming reach. Yeah, there you go. Before we move on, I want you to just... I DM'd you the other three Kodama's reach arts. So there's a secret layer drop with a cat, like an illustration of a cat. Oh, that's cute. Super cute. But these other two, this these other two, they keep insisting on printing, especially the middle one here. Mm-hmm. The one where it's just like a green arm floating over a forest. I don't, I think that's goofy. I think that's nowhere near as good as the original Kodama's Reach art. It's, it's pretty weak. It's, it's one of those art pieces where it's like, it could be a creature. It could be a spell. That's true. It, it looks like it's something giant awakening as opposed to like spreading particular land. It's just kind of, contextless but you know they've given up on the original art they haven't printed that original art since 2017 every printing since 2018 has had different art that's a tragedy it is because i think this one's better and you know this recent one they threw in um the neon dynasty commander set i think is even worse it's just like here's some vines tendrils and vines yeah it kind of it's it sort of ties back to the original a little bit right we've got like this barren little patch on the right side and you can see that the jungle is reaching out and expanding. Yeah, but it doesn't have the punch of it. But yeah, it's it's definitely weaker. You know what it could be is it could be the icon for an like an ability of a druid in an ARPG, like in Diablo oh, yeah. or Titan Quest or yeah, something. Zoom in on part of this. Yeah, this summons vines. Yep. Grasping vines. Yeah. Okay. Um all right. Yeah, I like I like three X. I think we should push the envelope on this thing. And if it's too much, we can always dial it back. I like it. All right, and that is it for today's episode. Hopefully uh, this episode was a joyous respite for all of you, uh, as it was for us. Uh, And I hope that our extended discussion of other art and other cards and all kinds of weird history topics wasn't too much of a Kodama's reach for all of you in our audience. 
<laughs> I, just, I just made that one up live, Connor. Yeah, that's a good one. If you have feedback or thoughts or memories to share about any of the cards or topics today, or especially about any of the cards that are coming up in later episodes, you can always email us at clockspinningpodcast at gmail.com or better yet, comment on Reddit. Um, that helps us discover the show. It lets other listeners see your thoughts. Uh, so we always love seeing comments there. Uh, if you want to see the cube as it evolves, you can follow along on Cube Cobra. Just go to clockspinning.com for a link. And then next week, join us as we finish green. We got 25 more green cards, and then we're done with the colored spells of champions. It's been quite a journey. Until then, though, I'm Austin. And I'm Connor. Thanks for listening. 